after exile on Bash Street. It's been quite a long while here between shows. It's going to normal, but a lot of stuff going on at the beginning of 2022. And uh, we're here now, though. And we're going to go back and take another walk on the wild side as we begin 2002 in the history of NWA Wild Side. And a, a year of change, so to speak. Even more than 2001. So we're going to cover the months of January and February, only two months this time. We're going to try to try not to have these marathon shows we we had towards the end of 2001. We're going to try to restrict it a little bit better this time. So, um, yeah, we're going to do the first two months. And joining me on this show, as always, we're joined by the leader of the elite. And at this point in time, the CEO of Wildside, as we're discussing this, manager of champions, the legendary Jeff G. Bailey. Jeff, welcome back. Oh, so great to be back. Looking forward to talking about 2002. We got a lot of fresh faces and a lot of exciting things about to happen. Absolutely. And also, the voice in NWA Wild Side, the leader of Dragon's Rejects, Dan the Dragon Wilson. Dan, welcome back. <laughs> How the hell are you, Chris? Great. Great to be back with you guys again. And real quick before we start this shindig, you, I am jealous of you two guys because you two guys got to see Judas Priest uh, a little bit of time before we record this show. And that goddamn Rob Halford, he is still amazing to this day, isn't he? You want to get first, Dan? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, uh, like, okay, so over the years, Judas Priest may have become my favorite band of all time. It's a difficult process of elimination that has always belonged to Black Sabbath. Um, however, you know, they just like they lasted so much longer and the catalog is so much bigger and like the, the talent and the songwriting and the legend, like, of course, Simon's like invented heavy metal. So there's no topping that, but holy shit, it, like Judas Priest is one of the greatest bands of all time. It's the second time I had seen them. And uh, Rob Halford this time was in just absolute top form. He was no slouch the last time I saw him, which was uh, like a co-promoting a new album tour as well as an anniversary of Defenders of the Faith. So they did a lot of songs off both of those albums. This was a 50th anniversary tour. It was a very robust set list throughout the whole catalog of Judas Priest. And man, when I'm 70-something years old, if I'm half as kick-ass as Rob Halford, then I will consider my life victorious because holy shit, man, he is still killing it. Even at his age, uh, it's inspiring, man. Fucking inspiring. Jeff? Yeah, I mean, Judas Priest is probably a, a Mount Rushmore band for me. I saw him for the first time in 1982. So this is 40 years that I've been seeing Judas Priest. And uh, this was a... This was an upper tier one. I mean, for Halford to still be singing like that. And, you know, people knocked the band because they got two replacement guitarists now, although Tipton came out and played all the songs in the encore set. So uh, that was really awesome to have. But uh, this is a great band, great set list. Definitely, if they're coming to your town, go see them. Judas Priest still rules. Absolutely. God bless them. Yeah, 70. Rob Halford is 70 years old and <laughs> still going like a motherfucker. Oh, God, I love it. May we all be so blessed. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. But anyway, 
that's 2022. Now let's go back to 2002. And we'll start with January the 5th, 2002, and TV covering the 12th and 19th of 2002. But the first week of January's TV, you know, was a kind of a year-end recap show of 2001. And Jeff had something he wanted to uh, get off his chest uh, about that because, as you remember on the last show, we talked about Jimmy Rave being uh, run over in the parking lot by J.C. Daz and how that wasn't really shown on television when it was supposed to be shown, but it's shown in the recap show after the big feud was over with. So, Jeff, you have the floor to talk about that right now. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm, I'm happy it was shown, obviously, because it, it really is an incredible guy getting hit by a car. I mean, I would put it, you know, right up there with Lawler and Eddie Gilbert as one of the best, you know, person being hit by car angles in wrestling. Um, Jimmy really goes flying. You get the good slow-mo version of it where he goes flying. I think Dan's band has the heavy metal track over the slow-mo version of Jimmy flying. So it's, it's a very exciting angle that you finally get to see. The fact that you see it after the Christmas chaos show has already happened is incredibly infuriating. And, um, on top of that, there's a promo of mine coming up that you didn't even put in the notes because it's like three episodes after Christmas chaos which is a Christmas chaos promo. So it's some of this editing really is absurd and uh, frustrating and angering, but we're still going to talk about my promo. You didn't put in the notes. Where, I, I wonder how I missed that. <laughs> yeah, let me know when we get to it. Cause I could have swore I had everything down that needed to be put down. So, all right, well, let me, yeah, let me know. Huh? Okay. All right. So anyway, January 5th. Uh, no, it's, it's I've actually got some, but, chaos show and it, it actually happens like three episodes or four episodes after christmas chaos just in the middle of a show it's wow. insane yeah go ahead dan what were you saying yeah no, i was gonna say like around all of this i actually got some additional insight i reached out to bill in between episodes to fill in some of these gaps always good we got to talking about you know some of the stuff that had happened around this point so this is a pretty monumental point in wildside history first of all we did touch on it in the last episode as we start 2002 bill has bought out steve martin mm -hmm. so bill is 100% owner of Wildside at this point. And these edits are what led to that. We've kind of discussed that. But Bill actually himself said that uh, that uh, many things looked bad or did not happen in order. It all had to do with the way Steve edited for literally around a six-month <laughs> period. Ultimately led to me buying him out, among other problems. But he literally would just make arbitrary decisions not to put things in or wouldn't bother to time the episode out, so he would run whatever the main event was in whatever time that was left. So we'd have throwaway matches running for full time, and our main events being cut to three minutes. Uh, so the Steve and Amy, which was, you know, when we talked about when he got married and kind of went off the rails after that he had relationship problems there, but um, that... Uh, that was bad enough, but then Steve literally got counterproductive on any input on the product, which is why it was central for young Andrew, Andrew Thomas, to take over the editing. He said Steve was also in massive censoring mode, where he put the word censored up yes. anytime he thought it needed to be up. 
as he was trying to be the producer rather than the editor. These are Bill's words again. And literally from day one, it was understood that I did the TV, I was the producer, I was the booker, Steve was the promoter, and that's why he kept the gate and I got nothing from it. And from day one, Steve fought that, even though we'd agreed to it, because he wanted to be the one responsible for the TV that was all over the United States. Uh, He said everything happens for a reason, though, because if Rick, Steve, and Joe hadn't come twice to convince me to create a new promotion, who knows whether Wildside would have ever happened the way it did, and most likely NCW wouldn't have survived much past the year we started Wildside, because they had already pissed off all the local advertisers, (laughs) and no one renewed very soon after Wildside uh, started bouncing, which after Wildside, which is why Steve started bouncing checks all over the place. Uh, he says that this is just the last bit of this that uh, he always says things happen for a reason. Uh, again, <laughs> but uh, that he had sold a VHS tape uh, before they were stars type of thing in the UK with AJ and others that had Jerry Lawler hosting, and he got twenty grand for that. So Bill said he rationalized he could give Steve ten grand, and he was still the winner on a variety of levels. And interesting that ten grand ended up being the number almost everyone paid to buy Anarchy in the future. As I never sold Wildside, I just put it out of business. <laughs> so that that sets the table for all of this. So there you go. You make sure, yeah, I was wondering what what happened to the local advertisers, <laughs> you know, as time went on here, because you don't see it no more. But there it is. <laughs> and I, I believe that Steve does remain on as editor only, even after Bill bought him out for a little bit up until about hardcore hell. And then from there, he's gone and com- entirely out of the picture. So we'll still see oh, some of the yes. stuff that Bill's talking about up until then, probably. Oh, God, yes, we will. So, uh, yeah, let's get started. All right, so I believe yeah. it's hold I believe Steve actually edits hardcore hell because he does something in the cage of horrors that enraged Tank and Iceberg. Is that not correct? Yeah, I believe that was his final event for that mm-hmm. reason, if I'm not mistaken. Well, that's two guys you won't want to piss off. So right. <laughs> there you go. All right, so January 5th uh, at the arena, 12th, 19th on TV, Jeff G. Bailey and Big Business Brown are meeting in the back before the show as Jeff is disappointed that Onyx is still the TV champion and that Big Biz has failed recently. Big Biz that talks about Blackout being their new hope. And, of course, they enter the room. Bailey kisses their asses and wants them to take out Onyx and the Lost Boys at the same time. Homicide then asks Bailey if he could get them off any charges for taking out Onyx, and he said most definitely. So everyone then shakes hands as their dastardly deal is consummated. So, yes, you uh, are bringing in Blackout to do your bidding, and... You guys are kind of loosely aligned throughout this run here that we're going to talk about these next couple of months. Yeah, um, obviously, uh, they get the rub from the elite, and we get some big badass killers to join us and trying to take out all the baby faces. Um, I thought this was a good segment for Biz. He was pretty funny in this. Um, it was just a nice little setup thing. I, I, I like the uh, the shrill and impassioned screams and the pained whimpering of Onyx. That was some pretty <laughs> fun stuff. But yeah, this is pretty enjoyable. I, I always like the stuff I got to do with Big Biz. It's always fun to see those. Um, he disappears here shortly after. Yeah. And, and he's missed greatly as I have 10,000 people around me. Yes, we'll get into that as we go along. 
right, two matches that didn't make TV. Kevin Harden over Malice. And Cooter Calhoun and Big Henry Haas over Kid Cool and Kid Ecstasy. G-rated. Persephone against Alexis Larie. Wait, it was the first TV match. Yes, it's the future Mickey James making her wild side debut here, and she's still pretty green. We don't get much of the match, and Persephone wins. Well, there's a reason why Alexis Larie is here. It's because Joey Matthews is coming up, and they were in a relationship at this time. But, uh, Dan, I mean, um, Mickey James, Lexus Larie have been around for a little bit, and she's here, you know, working this match at the arena. Did you think she had the future that she would have when you saw her here at this early stage of her career? I mean, it's always hard to say how the wind is going to blow for a particular talent and their luck, but she definitely had the tools, and it was pretty obvious even from an, an early time in her career that she was a star in the making now to what level of star i don't think we had any idea but but yeah she definitely had the it factor yeah exactly and one thing about her i mean she look at her 20 years ago compared to now i mean hair is a little different and she's changed a little bit physically she looks almost exactly the same <laughs> god bless her she has aged very well in 20 years i mean fantastically and still going strong, still still working her ass off and, you know, doing some good things in Impact. So props to her. Oh, yeah, like booking women's tournaments and NWA and, you know, really just trying to make herself a presence in a lot of ways in the business. Uh, you know, my run-ins with her were just very basic and professional, but she was always very pleasant and friendly. So, you know, I didn't have anything bad to say about her at all. Absolutely. Next, we get Jeff with Iceberg, talking about how they were stacking bodies like Auschwitz, and that they only had just begun, as Tank is still around. Bailey then told the story of Joseph Mengele shooting a hundred kids in the back of the head so he could dissect them, and Bailey wants Tank to suffer a similar fate. Well, Jeff, you were really going for it here on this one. <laughs> yeah, this is like really the first one with Iceberg where, you know, it starts to lean into a really bit of crazy and it's <laughs> only going to get crazier from here and stuff. But uh, yeah, this one's, you know, some people may not care for some of that stuff, but uh, I, don't, I don't see anything here. I need to apologize. Of course not. I mean, you're a heel manager. And your character and Iceberg's character, you know, something like this fits in. But but we can be honest and say that this would not probably go today. You couldn't do this. Oh, good today. Lord, no. I mean, no, absolutely not. <laughs> a, I wouldn't be trying to do it today. Yeah. And B, it would uh, definitely be persona non grata. I mean, it is, you know, it's... You, you don't get the joke about Nazi stuff anymore. It's a much more serious thing. And, you know, if anybody who doesn't know me or familiar with me is listening to this, I, I can assure you I'm not an anti-Semite or anything like that. The the Nazis are very evil, and I was trying to be very evil. That's so. the thing. It's the, it's the symbolism of what they did is what you're trying to project on the iceberg. Not well, yeah, ju I mean, not justifying what happened, 
just saying that this is what you wanted to happen to Tank. Right. It's it's motivation for Iceberg. Like, here's some really horrific murders that happened, Iceberg. Be thinking about that when you go out here to face Tank and do the same thing to him. Um, it's extreme, yes, but uh, it's very Jeff G. Bailey. Exactly. So we follow that up with Joey Matthews and Mike Pittman against Mr. Delicious, J.C. North, and Slim J. It's an interesting match, to say the least, and it's Join in Progress, which the first of many we'll talk about Join in Progress on the show. <laughs> Matthews and Pittman work well as a team, and what we did see, and Pittman put Slim away to get the win. Odd, yeah. Uh, Joey and Mike Pittman teaming up together. Slim J and Mike Pittman used to be a tag team, but they broke up here. And you got Mr. Delicious involved. So, uh, yeah, interesting match. Like I said, Dan, uh, one of those odd wild side TV matches you'll see here. Yeah, this was a fun one. I, I thought all of these guys kind of showed out in this match a bit, at least from what we saw. Um, Mike Pittman was one of the trainees at the wild side school. He kind of came up in that same class as Slim J and Lost Boy Gabriel and Seth DeLay and others. And uh, was really starting to break out as a young baby face here. And he actually was like a giant mark for Joey Matthews and Christian York. And so this was something that I think Bill kind of arranged for him. Like, I mean, Joey had been coming in and doing stuff, but but Bill uh, set it up to where Pittman was going to be his partner. And of course, he lost his shit. And uh, it, it was a fun little moment, and I remember all of these guys shining. What we see here also is uh, the early stages of heel Slim J. His kind of initial appearances were like flippy babyface jobber, and so now he's he's going to start to get a little bit of, of some heel stuff, and, and eventually we're going to get his first promo as a heel, which is fucking hilarious. So be on the lookout. It's not on this particular episode, but it, it will be in the coming months. Uh, but yeah, a, a fun little tag match. It didn't mean a lot. Didn't go anywhere, but you know, served its purpose. Oh yeah, absolutely. And Slim J going heel, Jeff. I mean, considering what his gimmick was at the time, I think that was the right move. W would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. His future was always as a heel, but sometimes you just have to put guys out there first and just let them be seen. Um, I thought the Rana that Joey gave Mr. D and then, you know, Pittman hit that spectacular flipping senton dead center. That, that was a pretty spectacular spot in the match. It should have been the finish, honestly, but uh, I use that jawbreaker thing that was like, okay, but uh, yeah, I mean, you could definitely see Slim's future was as a heel as this cocky little, you know, prick. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Tank against Terry Knight. That's a uh, different uh, style of match from the last one. This is also Joint of Progress. As Terry has a big elbow off the top rope on a down tank, but he would hit the F-bomb, who would appear to be the finish, until Iceberg hit the ring. Tank and Iceberg start brawling as Bailey gets orgasmic on the mic, wanting Tank to bleed. Being Henry Hawes showed up, and Terry Knight took care of him, starting up their feud. The other baby faces will run out, forcing the heels, which pissed off Bailey. Forcing heels out of the ring, which pissed off Bailey. So uh, here you go, Jeff. You're advancing your uh, your Tank Iceberg storyline here, and uh, Terry Nine, Big Henry Haas are now starting up an angle. That's a interesting undercard angle for both of them. 
yeah, um, they kind of beat it into the ground, but (laughs) it's, it definitely, you can either say they beat it into the ground or it had legs, you know, I guess it's your choice. Well, it gave them something to do. Right. I uh, I thought Tank's F-bomb looked really sweet in this match. Yes. Um, he looked, and it, it's funny to see Tank moving around so fast and stuff because <laughs> he was. And, uh, he was young. I mean, 20 years ago, he's young. He's not... You know, he hasn't had the wars yet that he that he would have. So yeah, I mean, it is it is interesting to watch Tank if you watch him in twenty twenty two and then watch him here. Totally different guy. Oh yeah, he's got the cop mustache. Yeah, <laughs> I looked, thought the baby. He looks like Dax Harwood from the revival. <laughs> wow, he does. Holy cow! I didn't know. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. He sure does. But yeah, God bless Young Tank. He was awesome. Man, I loved this. Like, I, we're gonna get into it, but this build for this first Tank and Ice. Oh, well, that's yeah. not the first match, but the the cage match. Oh my God, it's so good. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but also a funny little bit of insight on this match because i remember tank bitching about it when it was over so the f-bomb looked sweet because he dropped him on his fucking head because he was pissed <laughs> off <laughs> well because uh, you know terry didn't want to sell for him like tank especially then had a, a particular gimmick like and rick had just gone out a couple of tvs prior to this and had this fucking outstanding like bump and feed heel performance and now terry was a little bit more of a tough guy he had gotten set on fire and lived and shit (laughs) but like he was trying to go out there and like out brawl tank and like you know just do all of the shit that tank does but better instead of being the good heel in the match and being where he needed to be and getting his shit over where he needed to get it over and so tank was annoyed and that's also a reason why they cut the match down so bad was because it kind of sucked <laughs> okay well, well when it comes to something like that and an indie promotion like this where you ha- where you have something that you're supposed to get over psychology wise but one of the guys doesn't think that you know it works for him brother like hulk hogan would say i mean how do you handle that as a booker you know with, with something like that hey terry like speaking to this example, he he wouldn't go like specifically say he's not gonna do it. It's more like Tank's figuring it out when they're putting the match together and then, okay, this guy's gonna be a fucking stove to lug around <laughs> out here and he's not gonna, you know, do anything to help me out. Um, but as a booker, how you would do it normally, I mean, a lot of times it depends on who they are, but in most cases you would uh, you, you try to impose your will. If it's a big star, then obviously they're going to have a little more leverage than somebody who's, you know, just trying to get a spot on the card. And if that's the case, you can tell them to fuck off. But, you know, if it's somebody you're depending on, you might have to stroke their ego a little bit. Yeah, exactly. All right, Jeremy Lopez and Tony Luke up against La- Jimmy Raven, Last Dreamer. Good back and forth action, which we need to expect until Mamaluke pulled a ch- out a chain. In Jack Rave's jaw to win the match. But after the match, we get a promo from Tony talking about how he's been pushed to the brink and now he's pushing back. And it's been that way his whole life. 
Mama Luke said that Rave has unleashed the Italian monster before, before cutting an angry, spirited promo on Rave. And Rave follows up with a promo talking about how Tony Mama Luke has been cheating him out of wins, and it's time for them to have a singles match. Jeff, I thought that the that Mama Luke was great in this whole thing here, and his promo and everything, and Jimmy, you know, Jimmy promo was good coming back off of it. That everything was setting up really nicely here for a Jimmy Tony uh, singles deal here. Yeah, I uh, I believe we're definitely going to get to that at a certain point. I mean, you can tell this is Jimmy getting his superstar push. Tony Mamaluke's here. We're setting it up for him. He got hit by the car, but came back and beat J.C. Naz in the two out of three falls. And now he's moved on to Mama Luke. So he's definitely uh, in his big moment. But uh, we're fortunate enough to be able to tie some other guys into this thing to drag it out longer before we start doing the matches and stuff with Todd, who doesn't have a partner and gets to be involved. And um, also Jeremy Lopez. And here we have Lance Dreamer before he goes away. So really we're able to do a lot with Tony Mamaluke right as soon as he came in the door. And Dan, Jeff talked about Lance. This is it for Lance Dreamer uh, at this point in time. He, uh, kind of disappears right after this for for a while. Yeah, he sure does. This was a, a mystery that I was unable to solve. It was not without uh, a, <laughs> without trying. Uh, uh, Bill couldn't remember what happened, but it was something. He pissed us off or something because we like make a point to say that he's not coming back like three times. Yes. And <laughs> So it was clear that it was supposed to be very final and that we were maybe kind of being a little petty about it. Well, sometimes that happens with wrestling promotions and people leaving unexpectedly on, you know, and in the midst of, I mean, a kind of a push here. I mean, Lance is, we talked about him a lot on the last show. He's involved in the big, you know, uh, cruiserweight title rivalry here. And all of a sudden he's gone. So, yeah, it's not like he's a guy, a guy, open and match guy right now. I mean, he's doing things. So, yeah, he was figured in for sure. And we had plans for him. So, I I mean, I guess that's why we were pissed off that he left abruptly. (laughs) Exactly. All right. So next we get an interesting six man tag of Jason Cross, JC Daz and Homicide. I guess the Lost Boys and Onyx. I really dig these seeing these views being mixed and matched here. Yes, I always love in wrestling promotions where you have these separate feuds and you can do matches like this to, you know, have some cohabitation between feuds. Yeah, I I really dig when that happens. Uh, Of course, this is Joint in Progress at their commercial. Rain Man showed up at ringside. The highlights of this is Andrew Thomas throwing a temper tantrum because Bayface keep coming in trying to save Gabriel. Heels have a field day beating on Gabriel until Honest gets hot tag and he runs wild hitting a big spinning DDT on Daz. Then cross Mr. Frog Splash hitting Daz. Honest then gets taken down by Daz as everyone's brawling ringside. Jeff went for a super kick, but Caprice Coleman came out and punched Jeff yet again as the show goes off the air. Yeah, that's how the TV show ended for this match. So, uh, Jeff, you, you took another shot for Caprice here and uh, you're about to get really tired of all that. Yeah, I I love this match. It was, I mean, as I look back on this stuff, I mean, the stuff 
with Caprice and Jason is so good. And really, anytime we get around Caprice, it's been good. I mean, that whole finishing sequence of that match with um, Jason with that out-of-frame frog splash and then followed by that slam by Onyx. It was so ridiculously hard. He just broke into dance after it. I mean, and then Caprice comes in, and I start swinging at him with, like, the Wolverine claws and stuff. <laughs> like a like a woman, you know, just trying to, to keep someone at bay. And then he just clocks me, and I take that upside-down, sideways bump into the ropes. I mean, slide out to the floor, Dan screaming, he's knocked out cold! <laughs> so, yeah, that, was a, that was a really fun segment. I enjoyed that a lot. I, I got a lot of laughs out of that. Caprice is is really fun to work with. Oh, absolutely, and uh, yeah, Dan. I mean, it, this feud is uh, all these guys here are just re- really, really strong at this point in time. Man, we were really popping at this point. We had so much good young over talent, like they'd all kind of come up in two thousand one. Uh, and so, you know, we had a lot of fresh faces in the mix and some guys that had been around a little bit we had a lot of these great tags and six mans, like you guys mentioned, that did, you know, cross pollinate some of the feuds that we did. And I always loved that. It, you know, it harkens back to me, the days of Mid-South wrestling, uh, a lot of Memphis in that. They used to do that. A lot of Mid-Atlantic. Um, you know, this is all the, the wrestling, all of us respectively that, you know, had a, a creative input in Wildside grew up on. So it, it was it's really fucking a great time in the company right now. Absolutely. All right. So that's one that, that's January 12th TV. All right. Uh, we have a match that takes place. There's a buffer between the TV tapings. Chris Hamrick won a three way over Matt Vandal and Mike Preston. I remember these guys names, but I don't remember where they came from. Were they local guys or were they out of town, Vandal and Preston? I would guess they were out of town because I don't remember them being in more than this one time. Yeah, I want to say they might have also been Monster Factory guys. If they were, they weren't. I'm fairly certain they were from the Northeast. Yeah, the names I know, I just don't place. I mean, Hamrick's on this show, you know, working this kind of a dart match, you know? I mean... I'm a I'm a Chris Hammer guy, and I, you know, hell, let's let's spotlight him if we can. What I mean, what's the reason why he's working a dark match here? I would assume he was maybe there with somebody and and was working a match like he wasn't scheduled. I don't know. I mean, obviously, everybody respects Chris Hamrick's talent, and um, if he wanted to be part of the promotion i'm sure he would have but you know he was probably just in for a one shot or unscheduled and um this is what bill chose to do i mean i i can't really say i don't know but i mean certainly i was always happy to have chris hamrick on the show he's tremendous yeah dan you remember anything about this it was usually the case, you know, guy, a lot of guys would just show up because there was a show and they didn't have a booking and, you know, would just ask, hey, Bill, can I get a match? And, you know, we'd already had plans, you know, figured in and, and usually something pretty intense with a pretty important angle. Now, if we could work them in into something that meant something and was relevant, of course, you know, Bill was going to do that. But that's just not always the case. You can't always just cram 
a name that shows up into your show uh, in something meaningful. So, you know, at least put him out here in a match and get him a win. And that's, you know, so two drive-ins that drove, hell, they might have even come with Chris. Uh, but, you know, he, he got out there and, and got him a victory in case he wanted to come back. See, boys and girls, it's an indie talent these days. Sometimes, you know, if you're not working, go to a show. If you have a, a time, and who knows, you might get a booking. <laughs> you know? You just never know sometimes how stuff may work out. Always bring your gear. For sure. Yeah. All right, so Jeremy uh, 19 TV, we have Adam Jacobs and Jason Cross against Laz and Todd Sexton. Jeff gets on the mic before the match and said that Laz can't be in this match because he can't be 50 feet from Jacobs. He gets the restraining order. So Sexton needs to find a new partner. Sexton snuck up behind Jacobs, got schooled out of nowhere for near fall. He was going at it alone. Sexton was a house of fire, taking the both heels before the numbers game caught up to him. Although Sexton put up a fight the best he could. Tony Stradlin then ran out as a big surprise and jumped in the corner cheering on Todd to tag him. Stradlin would get the hot tag and he ran wild to his shoulder gave out on him as he was holding Jacobs up for the powder keg and dropped him. Cross and Jacobs then combined up for an armbar trying to break his shoulder as Andrew Thomas just stood there arguing with Sexton, who finally told him to ring the bell. The heels continued to work over Stradlin until Caprice Coleman ran them off. So, Jeff, here's the injury angle here to further uh, Tony Stradlin's uh, time off. Yeah, I mean, I got to say, Todd looked really good in this, as he did over all these tapings. I mean, he's really shined out here getting his singles opportunity, um, even though this was scheduled as a tag. And uh, the Tony thing, I had forgotten we had even done, but... Like you said, I believe it was done to just kind of like, okay, uh, let's we need to buy him a little more time, but we need to get him out here in front of the people. And uh, I thought it was really effective, you know, him coming out and the people getting all excited and then, you know, his arm giving out. It was, it was strong. It's really good. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, you know, just a way the, the further for this along and, uh, you know, just right. Dan, uh, Todd, Todd's one of these guys that he kind of stands out in this time period as somebody that looks like they could be on the cusp of doing something here. Oh, yeah, I think this is really where Todd earns his stripes as a mainstay in the company and uh, manages to be so for a long time to come. You know, Todd was never like the top guy, but he was there for many, many years and always contributing in the ring. And then when he stopped contributing in the ring, started contributing behind the scenes and, uh, you know, became a great booker in that building and still is a great booker in the South today. So, but I think all of that kind of starts with this run right here because this is where Todd starts earning the respect of his peers, the respect of the audience, and people can say, "Oh, okay, this this dude's got something, and he can really go." Yeah. All right. So next we get a skit with Big Business Brown with Crew Jones backstage talking about his five touchdowns in one game and he was a future star of Wildside, which leads to Crew Jones against Jeremy V. Jeremy gets a big spotlight match on TV against a guy who's been getting a push of late. So Jeremy comes out blazing, hitting some big moves, including the side moves off to the floor. Crew came back, and it just turned out to be a good match. Big Biz got in the ring, distracted Speedy Nelson as Jeremy had a big moonsault on Crew. But Jeremy would hit Big Biz, and Crew caught him with a briefcase and a Twinkie. Big Biz is Twinkie to put Jeremy away. <laughs> Dan, we talked about, I talked about Todd 
you know, being the guy who like he's on the cusp or something. Crew Jones is one of the stars of this whole run here that we're going to talk about. This guy, you know, we talked about him on last show, how he was coming on, and here he just explodes right here at this time period. And he looks like he he's definitely going to be a guy who would be a main event guy on Wild Side and is for time a good time to come. Yeah, and I mean, he was a, a solid contributor for a while, but, you know, later on, a few years down the road, he moves out of state, and uh, he continued working, and then he came back to Georgia later, et cetera, et cetera, uh, but never, like, made wrestling the full-time deal. I felt like he, he was definitely prime to get picked up. I mean, even here, he's super green. You can tell a lot of the stuff he's doing physically in the ring's a little sloppy. Doesn't fucking matter. He's got so much presence and so much career charisma as this jock bully football player asshole um and with big biz out there sweating his fucking ass <laughs> off pouring buckets and throwing flags on the play and i mean my god and, and i think i don't even think he's got the cheerleader out no. here with him yet no. so you know this is like the very earliest incarnations of the one bad mofo and what about young jeremy v now uh, he doesn't start really getting a push for a while here but you can already tell this kid is going to be a star as well yeah. that long hair and just selling his ass off out there absolutely jeff i mean yeah jeremy v you know getting a little show out here but big biz and cruise i mean they seem like you know a great marriage here and it sucks that that didn't last longer yeah, that's for sure. I mean, this is a classic Young Lions match, you know, and we have a couple of those coming up with, with these guys and other guys and tags, and they're just all guys on the come up. I mean, like Dan said, you could just see, I mean, Jeremy is so green. He's so tentative on some of the stuff he does, especially in that tag match later where you can just see he's thinking about everything he does before he does it, but you, you look at him and you go, oh, yeah, this kid's going to be a star. And he's so great out here bumping around for crew. And uh, Biz and crew was a perfect match. And, uh, you know, adding Destiny, the cheerleader, adds a little more to it. But I love just the little things that crew does. Like, you know, he knows his matches with Jeremy V. So he's got V sucks on his wrist tape. Mm -hmm. And I. Just, just little things like that that's a little extra that make him stand out even more because he's clearly trying harder than others. And, uh, yeah, he looks like a star in this match. Like like, like you said, he could be a champ. Absolutely. Well, he's about to become a champ in a, in a week. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, Sweet Dreams gets Caprice Coleman next. Battle of the Real Life Brothers. And it's joint in progress. As and Dreams is dominating the match before Caprice hit the thermal shock on Dreams. Yeah, basically, I mean, it's Sweet Dreams on offense, and then here comes the thermal shock. That's the match we see on TV. Bailey distracted Speedy Nelson, so Jason Cross ran out and dropped Caprice before Dreams hit the alley oop to get the big win over his brother. So yeah, Sweet Dreams gets the win, but it's basically just this little bit of a match. So I mean, Jeff, you're out here for ringside. Was there just some? wacky stuff going on here that caused this to be edited or was this this was a time issue on the show i think it's probably a time issue on the show because obviously with aj and david you would hope they're gonna allow for more time for that coming up um 
I thought the bump that Caprice took off the rocker dropper looked really good. <laughs> I mean, there's not a whole lot to say about this. There wasn't much to it, but uh, I guess we'll look at it as more of a angle backdrop than an actual match because uh, there's just not much to it as a match. And Sweet Dreams going with his brother. I mean, right, the right finish for this for this whole thing that's going on. Uh, I mean, w- this stuff's going to last a while. So, I mean, you know, you got to have a lot of different things take place. I mean, there's going to be finishes that aren't always the best finishes, but they're the right finishes because you've got more finishes to come that you're waiting to do. So uh, I don't I don't have any problem with it as a finish. I thought the distraction was a bit long. You know, it, it took them a little too long, but beyond that. Yeah. And uh, the main event, AJ Styles defend the Wild Safeway title against Davey Young. This is a face match. Both men are just fantastic here, working both inside and outside the ring, with Styles hitting a crazy running somersault sent on off the announce table in the Young and the crowd. And then Young hits this fucking insane Asaya Boonsaw from the ring to the crowd on Styles. Folks, you you have to see this. They're giving time calls on commentary, telegraphing the draw, as Styles hit the Styles Clash with 60 seconds left in the match. Young hit a big spine buster on Styles and covered right as the bell rang. And we have a draw. But we get five minutes of overtime. And because they had went uh and they had went fifteen minutes before. So there you go. After the five minute overtime we have the draw. So Dan, this this is a hell of a fucking match. Uh, these two guys, you know, J- David had done the thing in, in the match with AJ and Rick where he, he had the babyface turn, you know, and this is AJ paying him back. And David Young on this show we're going to talk about here, I mean, th- this is some of his best work as well in the promotion, I thought. I mean, there's fantastic stuff all around here. It's it's the star-making performance for David as well. And not that he wasn't already a star in the building, but this elevated him to a star of a whole different level. And a lot of it was rooted in, you know, AJ had come back from doing the Super Indie Tournament. And I, I believe it was around this time that, you know, the rumors of Ring of Honor starting up were coming to fruition. And the rumors of possibly a new promotion started by the Jarrett's were coming to fruition. And so they knew that like that work rate style was what people were kind of talking about. Like, you know, you could pack out all the fucking houses you wanted in the South, but if they weren't talking about you on the message boards and in the, you know, in the internet communities, then, you know, what buzz did you really have in some respects? And so they were smart enough to recognize this. And David knew he could, go at that level he knew he could do that style and prove a lot of people wrong that thought he was just an old southern wrestler and so aj and him were you know very close friends that they believed in each other and they wanted to go out here and just they they pitched this angle to go have these like fucking just barn burner matches and how could we say no to that? Uh, this is, you know, one of many. This kind of becomes a series and a rivalry. And a lot of these matches get them attention that takes them elsewhere. Uh, like their tryout for TNA that got them signed was against one another in a recreation of one of these matches in Nashville at the Nashville Fairgrounds. Yeah, Jeff, this is fantastic match here. Uh, both these guys are just, you know, so good at this point in time. 
like you said, that fucking insane I say moonsault oh. from the ring to the crowd. I mean, I, I don't know how that didn't get put in the show open because it's spectacular. I mean, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, everything Dan said is true. I mean, they 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 put this all together in the way of we need to show people the, this style, we can do this style, and you know, to show Dave, it's not just a southern wrestler and a tag team guy, and uh, he certainly showed everyone that in this match. I mean, I think you know, I've spoken to a lot of people who are fans of Wildside over the years, and uh, quite a few of them have said this stuff with David, AJ, and Rick during this time period is some of their favorite stuff of the entire promotion. You know, it's a shame that David Young came when he did, because if David Young would have came around 10 years later, he'd be a much bigger star in the business. You know, much bigger star. Because you look at him at this point in time, and at this point in time in the Indies, it's like, you know, David was a hell of a worker, but he didn't have the look that the Indies was was putting out at that time. He looked like a Southern wrestler before it was cool to be a Southern wrestler. You know what I'm saying? You know, now and nowadays and in the past few years, I mean, that whole stigma has kind of went away in a lot of ways. And yeah, David, David would have been a much more high profile guy on the scene. I mean, he had a, he had a great run. But he would have been a much more high-profile guy on the indie scene if he would have came along later. Absolutely. Especially the way he worked. Come on. Good Lord. All right. Friday night at DNCW Arena on January 11th, we have a three-way. Paul Alexander over John Doe and Sly Storm. Mike Pittman is coming. Hey, 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 hey. I got to say something about Paul Alexander real quick. <laughs> oh, sure. Go ahead. Just, just to give you a, a – this, so this is a dude who came up from, like, the middle Georgia area. And, uh, you know, he never ended up panning out to be much, but it was one of the first, like, gimmicks I came up with for a Friday night guy because he just looked like somebody's fucking accountant. So we – came up with his gimmick was the certified public ass kicker. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's all. And then we have Mike Pittman and Scott Cage over Darren Fate and Sweet Dreams. Goff. Yeah, here's Goff over the a Super Destroyer by disqualification. Then we have Crew Jones winning the Beat the Champ title. That's a Friday belt over Jeremy V. Continuing there. Uh feed from the week four. Cooter Calhoun over Paul Alexander doing double duty. Johnny Psycho and Shadow Jackson over Jerry Lewis Jr. Always love that name. And Tony Gibbons. Then Todd Sexton and Derek Driver over Brandon Phoenix and Jay Freeze. And then Kid Cool and Sal Del Rio over Blackout. Homicide and Rain Man. So yeah, Friday Night Show, Dan. A lot of the, you know, young guys on this show, uh, but crew gets the beat the champ title here, and we get Sal De Rio here on this show as Sal's in his new gimmick as he lost the loser leave, and um, yeah, some uh, interesting Friday night show here. 
Yeah, um, you know, the, there was stuff that we got to continue from TV, like the Crew Jones and Jeremy V thing, which wasn't a huge deal on TV. You know, it was kind of a run-of-the-mill match, so it was good. Uh, you know, we could take that to the Friday show as a feud, and it means something because it was on TV. So uh, that was kind of how we tried to intersperse the Friday shows and TV sometimes, because the Friday shows were mainly student and tryout shows and shows to develop talent to put them on TV. Um, also worth mentioning, uh, the Jerry Lewis Jr. gimmick was literally a dude doing a fucking Jerry Lewis <laughs> gimmick, and I'm not talking the killer, not Jerry Lee Lewis <laughs> with a piano like this motherfucker came out with like horn rim glasses and suspenders. Hi, and was like, hey, pretty lady. Yeah, Hi, exactly. <laughs> <That's>, yep. <laughs> oh my and, god. Uh, it was at home on Friday nights for sure. Um, and then Sal Del Rio. We got to talk about Sal Del Rio really quick. So yeah, this absolutely. is this whole thing is almost a rib. You notice Sal is now in a has reappeared in a different gimmick. That's like. Salsa Zorro? I don't know what to fucking call it. So this whole thing was a bit of a rib. So after we written Sal off because he left the promotion, that's what all of this was about. Uh, When they did the X-bomb, I think, on the outside, uh, the TNT, like, threw him up and he hit his head. Like, that was the the way to write him off. And uh, he was going to go to work for Burt Prentice. Like, full-time, like, living in Nashville and working in Burt's territory. He came up there and worked in his kid ecstasy one time, and Burt just fell in love with him and thought he was going to be his next big babyface heartthrob. I shit you not. Um, and, like, so, but he didn't like the name Kid Ecstasy, and he didn't like the name Sal Renaro. So he came up with Sal Del Rio, and that was the deal. And, of course, after about two weeks, him and Bert had a falling out, and he quit and came back to Wildside. And so Bill said, well, we're going to call you Sal Del Rio. <laughs> And Bill was the one that came up with the mask, the fake mustache, the Zorro sword, the music, the dance. Like, all of this was just to pop Bill. But in the process, I think it popped all of us. Well, I mean, it fucking worked, and the crowd loved it. As we'll get into as we go along, when it once it makes TV. I mean, so, so yeah. I mean, sometimes that's, that happens in wrestling, where you have this situation, and... It becomes a big deal, so to speak. So, yeah. All yeah, right. I got to add something yeah, here. Yeah, sure, sure. The, the certified public ass kicker, Paul Alexander, because this match here with Cooter Calhoun ends up becoming a feud on Andrew's Athens shows because Paul Alexander repossesses Cooter Calhoun's farm. <laughs> they have a feud <laughs> over this on the house show <laughs> about the certified public ass kicker taking away Cooter Calhoun's farm. So, so we're, we're so we're already recycling angles because you, you you did that with Stone Mountain's house, mother's house, and now we're recycling that angle with Cooter Calhoun's farm. To your well, it was just it was a house show angle. So yeah, I know okay. it's fun. It's funny though. It's funny. <laughs> I love it. That's a great uh, angle. Also, uh, Tony Gibbons is Tony Gibbons 
who went on to promote wrestling in Kingsport, Tennessee. Super Destroyer has been, that's who worked up there too. So got to be, you know, yeah, they probably rode together. And of course, Derek Driver ends up being Stephen Walter's partner, who's now Cash Wheeler in the new wave and Brandon Phoenix and Jay Freeze are future shock. So mm-hmm. we got some future stars here coming up on this Friday show. You know, there's there's a little bit less dreck on this Friday show than a lot of them had. How do you guys have a Jerry Lewis Jr. and not have somebody play Dino Martin? Would they come up with a with a with, with a, a tuxedo and a drink or something like that? That would have been amazing. That Martin and Lewis, <laughs> come on now, missed opportunity. I know it. All right, so January thirteenth builds on the uh, Wildside website, and this is what he talks about. I was notified that David Meltzer's Wrestling Observer newsletter has recently published its year in awards, which features NWA Wildside and Wildside Heavyweight Champion AJ Styles. Wildside was named the number eight television show and styled the shooting styles press called shooting star Plotcha was named the number eight best finisher. I also understand that AJ received several honorable mentions in the categories. Thank you to the observer and Mr. Meltzer. Now best weekly TV show. Here was the, uh, total list here. Uh, we'll start from the bottom. Number 10 nitro number nine, triple a show. Then Wild Side. Hey, you guys beat AAA. And beat Nitro, even though Nitro was on for three months. Uh, Tough Enough was seventh. OVW was sixth. Pro Wrestling Noah was fifth. Raw was fourth. CMLL on Galavision, not EMLL. CMLL on Galavision was third. SmackDown was second. And New Japan was number one. But still, the fact that Wild Side has made a Wrestling Observer year-end poll as an indie, and especially for TV shows, of all, of all things. I mean, that's a hell of an accomplishment, Jeff. I would probably be a little more proud of it if we were at least above Tough Enough. <laughs> well, that's the first season. <laughs> you know? But it's... But it's nice to see, absolutely. I I kid. It's it's nice to see, certainly. I I wish we would have been in the Observer a lot more than we were. Yes, I agree. I always try to look at the Observer, see what kind of wild side stuff's in there to put in these shows, and sometimes there's long periods of time where there's nothing in there about wild side. I mean, no results, nothing. And 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 Dan, do you think that that that's something that maybe? that could have been done a little bit better is pushing wild side out there more to a wide ranging audience like the observers, the torches and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, if it was within our power, certainly, um, I, I don't know what necessarily was. I know bill was in constant contact with Wade Keller. That fucker called the office like every week to talk to bill and try to get some scoops. Uh, and Meltzer and Bill talked pretty frequently, so it you know I, I was just kind of surprised that we we couldn't penetrate that more than we did. Um, you know, we got a little bit of coverage in all of those things, a little uh, bit, yeah. even the magazines included, but but not you know for for what was the number eight television program when the only indie that made that list that year, you would think that we would have been a hotter news item. Yeah, because you can't count Ohio Valley; they're developmental. You know, they're not a really a true indie. So, yeah, I mean, the fact that, yeah, 
That, I mean, that's awesome. All right, January 16th. Tonight, NWA Wildside stars David Young, Adam Jacobs, Blackout, Rain Man and Homicide, Tony Mamaluke, Jeff G. Bailey, Jimmy Rave, and Silky Boom Boom are all booked in Griffin, Georgia at the Country Rock for a big AWA Georgia show featuring a Buff Bagwell, Eddie Guerrero main event. Express the surprise Wildside stars, too. This is my neck of the woods, just right up the road from where I live. And Jeff, were you at this show? Did you make it to this one? If you remember, because I, I remember this show very well. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely on this show. The uh, the matches David, Adam, and Jimmy in a three way. Um, I also have a picture with Eddie Guerrero and Iceberg because Iceberg was taking a picture with Eddie Guerrero, and he goes, "Hey." get up and get in this picture. And I did. And I have that picture now, which is really awesome because, you know, I wasn't going to go ask Eddie Guerrero for a picture, but I have a picture with him because Iceberg said, Hey, get up and get in this picture. Um, we drew a nice house there. Um, they had a really good match. I've, I've got this on tape somewhere because my wife filmed it. <laughs> I mean, it oh, was, I would love to see this it again. Up. Yeah, because, I mean, the country rock's an interesting place. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a country bar. Well, it, it had various incarnations. It would Sometimes it'd be a country bar. Sometimes it'd be a, a rock bar. Sometimes it would even be a rap bar, still named Country Rock. Um, now it's no longer in existence. They tore it down last year, and, and uh, it was beside the Chevrolet dealership, and they're building a... Um, a building now on that lot. So they tore that place down. But if those walls could talk the stories they could tell, my God, that, that was a place, buddy. Woof. But, um, yeah, Buff, Buff and Eddie was a, a really good match, you know, and hell, you know, having a match like that, you know, and, and a place like that. I mean, you, you could think, okay, these guys may go in and, you know, work a lazy match and just do enough to get by. No, they went on there and worked, worked their ass off. So props to them. Props to them. Yeah, I was at that show, too. You uh, are? Okay, I, cool. Yeah, I, I did ring announcing for the Wild. That's so right. Like you did. Guest deal. You did. Uh, That's right. Virgil yeah. was also on that Virgil show. Virgil was there, too. Yeah. <laughs> Just say it off the wall shit in the locker room. I don't remember anything specifically, he but I remember everybody kind of looking at like, oh, what the fuck is this guy on about? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's also, I did not get a picture with Eddie Guerrero on that show. It's one of my great regrets and one of the things I tell young kids now and use it as, as an example, because, you know, like kids that are wrestling today, if it wasn't that long ago, but they feel like Eddie Guerrero existed in a mythical time years before they were born. So like the fact that they work shows with people who worked on shows with him is wild to them. Now it's that, you know, get the fucking pictures. I, that was my mistake. And I learned it there. Uh, I, now I don't have a picture of Eddie Guerrero and all my friends do. Was there any talk of trying to get Eddie on the wild side show during this time where he's, uh, doing independence? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, I don't think Bill could swing that price. I mean, Eddie was on the Redemption Tour, so he was out there taking bookings and doing stuff. And um, I don't think he was super expensive for the time and what you would think one would have to pay for Eddie Guerrero. But uh, we weren't really paying 
stars to come in real money. Yeah, I mean, I get that, but I mean, cause, yeah, I, I would have definitely tried. I would have definitely tried to get him. You know, I mean, because he was working. For, I mean, he worked for Ian, Ian Rotten. I mean, he he worked for Jack Sabbath. He worked for you know a lot of different people. But uh, yeah, it just been it would have been cool to see him uh, see him work a wild side taping or something. But sad, yeah, that would, it didn't happen. Oh. All right, January nineteenth at the arena. TV tape, uh, tape for the twenty sixth and for the second of February. Dan Wilson announces for the show that Jeremy Lopez was supposed to finish junior heavyweight title against Lance Streamer, but Lance was injured by Adam Jacobs at a show in Nashville, and he would never be seen again. <laughs> you get, and you were adamant about that, Dan. He would never be seen again. I know. I don't know what the <laughs> fuck he did. But. <laughs> it's like, holy shit, this guy was really pissed somebody off. <laughs> That's hilarious. I, I, it tells you exactly how important it was. <laughs> I mean, that's a real match. Lance Dreamer and Adam, we did like three Nashville shows where Adam and Lance curtain jerked like two of them, and then we got moved a little bit higher on the card for the third match, but uh, this must be the third match, and, and he wasn't injured in the match, obviously, but I don't know what's going on here, but yeah, hearing Dan say he'd never be seen again was kind of like, huh, I don't remember that being something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, Mike Pittman and Slim Jay. Mike uh, beat Slim J in a non-TV match. So there you go. Mike beating his old partner. Next, we uh, get Kid Cool, who's cutting the promo backstage, talking about finding a new member for G-Rated since Kid XC lost a Lose League Town match on one of the Friday night shows. And said he went on a worldwide talent search before finding his Mexican, Sal Del Rio. Sal, Sal shows up wearing a Zorro-type mask with a purple hat and long hair. This is hilarious as Sal speaks his Spanish. Oh, these two are hilarious here, Jeff. This is yeah, cool. it's more of G-rated, and uh, now they found something new to be funny with, and uh, Sal Spanish, and as they go back and forth, guapo. <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's, it was a nice little introduction. It's, it's the delivery. It makes it, absolutely. And leads to their match, Kid Cool and Sal Rio against Future Shot, Brandon P. and Jay Freeze. Sal Rio's interest is fucking hilarious here as he dances around the ring. G-rated becoming baby faces, and uh, Future Shock attacks him at the bell, furthering that. We get a clip in the action, shocking, before Sal hits the Chalupa Crunch, which cracked me up as Dan and Steven called it. G-rated would get the win with a combo diving leg drop, diving splash in a very cool spot. Oh, yeah, this is, this is a hoot, Dan. And you guys are having fun on commentary as well, I can tell, with, with the Sal Rio gimmick. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's a, a new breath of fresh air for G-rated a little bit, even though it was kind of unintentional. That's all the greatest wrestling stuff. You just It's just the stuff that you make out of the circumstances that you're dealt. So because of Sal leaving to go to Nashville very briefly and something that didn't work out, this whole thing comes about. Like, without that, they'd probably still have been just... Uh, just the regular old kid ecstasy and kid cool, but this is a first 
type of thing for Sal to also show more diversity and more of his personality. Like, he plays a lot of roles in Wildside over the years and has throughout his career and still does. He's still going strong out there in the NWA. But uh, a, a lot of fun. Future Shock is this this great heel team coming up on the Fridays. Uh, this is kind of an attitude check for them because these guys were kind of full of their own shit on Fridays and, uh, you know, a little bit arrogant. And so, you know, it was about coming out here. Okay, well, if you, you guys want to get a push on TV, first you're going to have to show that you can go out here and put the existing guys over. Um, and, they, you know, obviously they did ultimately earn that spot. Yeah, they did. All right, uh, Jeremy V and Crew Jones. Crew not only has Big Biz with him, but he has his cheerleader, Destiny, as part of his entourage. Beat the champ TV titles on the line here, which is interesting since this is on television. Well, it's a Friday Night Belt. Really ain't TV title. Crew is becoming so comfortable in his skin as a worker at this point, becoming a complete worker, and Jeremy is a good opponent for him to work off of. Crew was about to put away Jeremy, but he got caught with a roll-up, and Jeremy got a big upset. Iceberg then ran out with Jeff and crushed Jeremy V, among other dudes, as Bailey was bearing everyone. Bailey then called out the entire elite, saying that JC Dash couldn't be there because of some alleged criminal activity. And Bailey then told Adam Jacobs he had a bodyguard for him, and some massive dude showed up. Bailey then promised the Air Paris to be Wild Safeway champion that Honest would defend his TV title against both members of Blackout. All right. Let's talk about Jeff. Let's let's go one by one here. Um, Jeremy V getting the win over Crew makes sense considering what's been going on. So I think it was the right finish. Do you agree? Oh yeah, because they're they're just getting started with each other, and they have Friday night, and now they're also on TV doing it. So uh, yeah, that's uh, you know Jeremy is established now as being on the same level as crew who people could just look at and see was going to be a star. So, uh, they're both, you know, on equal footing now. Absolutely. All right. Um, iceberg beating, beating down motherfuckers here. And the one thing I love whenever we have these segments is, uh, you saying whenever some random guy comes in, who the hell is this guy? Who are you? You know, as you play, like, you don't even know who this, these guys are, even though you're the CEO of Wildside. When the funny thing is, the guy that you bring out as Adam Jacobs' bodyguard, you didn't even know who the hell he was. <laughs> I have no idea who... I, I, I don't have this in my notes right here. I, I hope this is the right match. Is this, is this the one... Where the 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 mask midget is in there, where I'm like, we don't use midgets here. <laughs> well, you have these moments a couple of times on this show, so it's either this one or the other one. I just know the mask midget thing. He's on the. I, he's like trying to get away, and I'm freaking out, screaming, "Get him, iceberg!" He's trying to get away and iceberg <laughs> grabs him by his head and just flips him upside down over the top rope back into the ring <laughs> it, it's one of those things that i've remembered for 20 years like i didn't know when it was or where it happened but i remember get that mask midget he's trying to get away <laughs> and him just flipping him back in. I hope this was the right match that happened in, but uh, if not, we'll cover it later. This has got to be the longest talk segment in the history of Wildside <laughs> to this point. I mean, 
there is so much done here. And yes, there is a bodyguard introduced for Adam Jacobs that I have no fucking idea who he is, where he came from, how long he's going to be around, what he's going to do in the future, or if he's going to be at this one taping and we never see him again because I have zero memory of his existence or his name. I didn't give him a name in the thing, did I? I no. mean, he- Here's here's your bodyguard, Adam. He's going to make sure that Laz stays away from you. Um, Air Paris, more wasted breath, unfortunately, because he's not going to be around long. Uh, and I'm talking about him being the next champion, and and I would have loved that because I loved Paris, and I really wish he would have stuck around and done something here because we really put him in a position to do so in this eternal promo. Um, <laughs> What else is in here? My God. Oh, yeah, we set up Onyx and Blackout as well. So uh, there's a lot going on here. (laughs) And Dan, uh, we were talking about this before the show. You don't know who the hell this bodyguard was either. (laughs) And needed a pill. Nope. (laughs) Legit. This motherfucker showed up for one show and never came back. I don't know if he even told anybody his name. Um, I probed into this matter with different people to see if anyone else remembered it. And so far, we're coming up zip. (laughs) Nobody knows who this fucking guy is. This is now like the holy grail of this show now. We got to figure out who the hell this guy was. You know, we have, you know... My co-host on Between the Sheets, David Bixen Span, his his thing is what is the true WrestleMania three attendance? And so and uh, our dearly departed friend Scott Bowden was did Mill Mascaris work the Mid South Coliseum in nineteen seventy nine? This show's holy grail is who the fuck is this bodyguard with Adam Jacobs? <laughs> well, if anybody out there knows, hit us up on the social media at Ram Dan Wilson. At Chris Zellner and at Jeff G. Bailey one. So yeah. We gotta figure this out. This is this is gonna haunt us until we fi- figure it out. That's that's amazing. <laughs> I don't even know if he's an actual wrestler because he doesn't even appear to know how to get in and out of the ring. I mean <laughs> the, the whole thing is like I, it's one of those things you look back on and go, How did this uh, what the hell is this? So yeah, I I would love to know who this guy is, and and if we can find out his story. I want him to tell us his story if he's out there. Yes, exactly. Yeah, this big jacked up motherfucker goes like he goes and he's like <laughs> stomping and stomping out there, and he fucking gets in the ring, and then he like gingerly gets under the middle rope. I'm like, why the fuck did you step over the top rope? Goddamn. <laughs> Oh man, fantastic! All right, uh, so we get a three-way dance for the Wildside TV title as Onyx has defending against both members of Blackout. Well, this seems fair. This, of course, basically a handicap match where Blackout dominates early part before we get a clip in the action. Onyx has now made his comeback, hitting Blackout the Blackout DDT on Homicide before Rayman hit him with a steel chair for the DQ. He also used a chair to try and injure Onyx's arm before leaving. I kind of expected more in this, Jeff, considering what the whole angle is and everything. I kind, of, I kind of felt like it was fine for what it was, but it wasn't what it should have been. Do you agree with that? Well, it's so clipped up; it's it's hard to say what all we missed. I thought the the closing angle was strong, 
with the chair on Onyx's arm. Don't call him Onyx. Call him One Arm. <laughs> I, I thought I thought it was a pretty pretty good little you know um, blackout out there trying to injure Onyx. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot to the actual match, but the post match angle was you know the important thing, and I, I thought that worked. Yeah, I, I just was you know with it being such a you know such hatred there. For Onyx, I, I just thought I was expecting kind of more of a violent ending, so to speak. I guess the arm thing was good, but I was just expecting something more violent, you know, or trying to be more violent, so to speak. Maybe the baby well, face come out or something like that to stop it. Right. I, I, I see what you're thinking. I mean, this was pretty violent. It for was 2002, I guess. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was fine, but I just. <laughs> But, but but I could see where like you know I had talked it up that they're gonna try and take Onyx's life and they just tried to take his arm. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, you're wanting him dead. Yeah, it's, it's still just very much a wrestling beat down. I I kind of see what you're saying and that like oh okay they you know they're supposed to be these fucking gangsters who are gonna fucking beat the shit out of him and you know it was great but it was just some heels beating up a baby face in a in a wrestling angle. Yeah, because Jeff, you're wanting him murdered on on the promo. So I mean. <laughs> I These know. guys keep letting me down. I don't I know. know. They're not too they're not violent enough for you, I guess. They're not. No. I let him know that later in the show. He's not <laughs> bleeding enough for me. <laughs> yes. Alright, so Jeremy Lopez comes out next and goes about running Lance Dreamer off, so he was going to have a wrestling session with anyone from the back. Which leads to Cooter Calhoun coming out. Lawler talks shit on Lawler. Lopez talks shit on Calhoun and they then they grapple where Lopez makes him tap out immediately. Lopez asks for another student, so Scott Cage comes out. Lopez takes him down, slapping him around for asking for somebody else. This leads to Todd Sexton coming out. Lopez is a little bit more cautious here. Sexton would counter a Lopez hold, cradled him with Cage and Cooter counting the pinfall, which pissed off Lopez, who attacked Sexton with a belt before running off. Classic pro wrestling style angle here. And uh, Dan, I thought this was, uh, I thought Jimmy Lopez was great in, in, in this uh, little segment. Great little piece of business overall here, and Lopez is really having a strong run as a heel here. Um, I, I think we've mentioned this on previous episodes, but going back and watching this stuff, like I, I know we appreciated it when it was happening, but I don't think we appreciated just how good some of the heel work from him here was his, his timing, his facials, and just the way he's just such a shit-eating bastard throughout all of it. Uh, so really entertaining stuff. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, Lopez, it, it's that deal that you see, you know, the like these wrestling workout deals that you would see in the past and stuff like that, and to have the guy come out and one-up them, yeah, just, just, just great stuff, and Jeremy Lopez also have one of my favorite interest uh, music songs here in this era. Third Eye Blind, Graduate. Love that song. So, uh, so yeah, good stuff here. And what, what are your thoughts on Lopez at this time, Jeff? He's great. I mean, this, like Dan said, I don't think I appreciated this as much at the time it was happening as I do now, because watching it now, I'm like, I love the stuff. Like, well, I'm, I'm, I was trained by Dean Malenko. Like, of course, I'm better than all these guys. And they talk about, well, well, Todd was trained by Shawn Michaels. He's like, so? He's not <laughs> as good as Dean Malenko. Okay. Yeah. I 
so and I mean, this just shows, you know, again, with me and Bill and Dan, this is we all grew up with our wrestling with this segment. We've all had this, whether it was Florida Championship Wrestling, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, Memphis Wrestling. I mean, this angle of, you know, the guy being all cocky and getting embarrassed is a wrestling staple and uh it always seems to work yep all right uh so next we get caprice coleman against jason cross not only is big biz with cross but so is sweet dreams this is clipped up which is a shame because i was hoping for a full match with these guys yeah big biz slid the briefcase in the ring and sweet dreams came in as well where everyone fought over the briefcase caprice would hit cross with a thermal shot for the pinfall then Jacobs and Jeff ran out when everyone attacking Caprice to the Lost Boys ran out to make the save. Andrew Thomas then, so, well, let's make it a six-man tag. Which leads to Caprice and the Lost Boys against Adam, Jason, and Sweet Dreams. Pretty fun for what we got, but TV time ran out before the finish. So, yeah, and there you go. You know, it ran out for the finish. That's all they can say. So, again, more cross-pollination of feuds here. And that's always good in these types of matches. All right, uh, so the next TV starts with Tank against Kevin Arden. But she'd be Kevin Harden. This should be a slaughter, and it definitely was. Well, I mean, this is the type of match, Dan, that you need to have on TV with, with guys like Tank at times to give him these squash matches to make them seem like these violent killers. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's it's the collision course with him and Iceberg. And so Iceberg has been featured strongly, uh, not always in matches, most of the time not in matches, usually just coming out to slaughter a number of people. And, man, the heat is on, speaking of that, in this particular uh, this the stretch of shows where it's like we're building the shit out of Iceberg as this monster. And he is slaughtering Four and five, six at a time, every time he goes out there. Um, and so how we're building Tank concurrently is Tank is running in to make saves on this, and Tank is winning singles matches against lesser opponents. Uh, and I, it's a simple wrestling formula, and it works like a charm here. Kevin Harden is the former Sergeant Hardener of mm -hmm. the platoon uh, who decided, you know, once we dropped the platoon angle and split them up, Corporal Cooter became Cooter Calhoun and adopted the hillbilly gimmick. And uh, Sergeant Hardener became Kevin Harden, who we would later... Uh, <laughs> he would later become the winner, Kevin Harden, which was a take on the old Barry Horowitz gimmick because Harden was a pretty much a career jobber at Wildside. So uh, he's not quite to the winner here, but <laughs> we'll get it eventually. Yes, yes. All right, so we get Jimmy Rave against Tony Mama Luke. Really solid back and forth affair. Both men working very well together. Kid Ecstasy comes out with a pizza to honey Tony Mama Luke. Yeah, so Sal is out as Kid Ecstasy. <laughs> no mask. Uh, so Tony goes nuts attacking him on the floor with Rave getting beat up for trying to help as well. Match ends on a count out and Mama Luke had to be dragged away by security. So yeah, getting Tony's uh, anger over here in this, but fun segment, Jeff. 
Oh, yeah. I, I loved angry Tony Mamaluke going crazy on the floor and stuff. I, I thought this this was this was great. And like you said, it was just a way to to further set him off and make him a little angrier and uh, build the stuff with the guys he's got coming up. So, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. Big Henry Haas against Terry Knight. Should be an interesting match. As Knight is usually the bigger dude in his matches, but definitely not here. Nice, very aggressive, trying to take Haas out, but Big Hank would come back fighting. This is another match that went to the floor with both men eventually fighting all the way to the back for a double count out. Obviously, as we said, we, you know, this is the first big match, first match of their feud. So you're not going to really probably do a clean finish here. And it's just, yeah, just the first step along the way. So that's all it is. But yeah, it, it was interesting, you know, Dan watching this because Terry Knight, you know, was a big guy, but uh, here he is with Big Henry, and he ain't the big guy in this one. No, no, he is not. And uh, they they had okay chemistry. I think these guys wanted to work together, and they knew they'd kind of, like Terry knew he'd kind of had his run pushed about as high as he was going to be pushed at the company. He was trying to look at, at a feud or something to get him back to where he was and big Henry Haas is a guy who has had size. He's been over, but like when it came to the big match, he just seemed to always struggle. So it was kind of another opportunity for him to go out here and get over. If this feud is a success, then maybe they can go on into more things. And let's also not forget that we were planning a two day hardcore hell coming up. So we have to have enough relevant matches to fill two cards. That's right. Setting the trends. Yeah. WrestleMania, they're just following in NWA Wildside's lead when it comes to running two night extravaganzas. That's right. Always setting the trends. NWA Wildside. Next, we get Air Paris against Laz. No dancing from Laz here as he runs to the ring. It's right in Paris's face wanting to fight. And that's exactly what they do. Laz hit an insane somersault senton to the floor, which went deep into the fans. Oh, God. Yes, it did. Uh, Laz would dominate the match until he went shoulder first to the ring post, allowing Paris to take control. Bailey would throw a chair into the ring, but Laz stopped Paris where he could use it. Adam Jacobson ran the ring confronting Laz, and then his bodyguard pulled Laz out of the ring with security taking Laz away. So the bodyguard gets physical here in this match, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I love serious Laz here. I mean, yeah, he's, he's awesome doing his shtick, Jeff, but, and when it's time to be serious, it's time to be serious, and that's what he was. And yeah, that's somersault centaur. Jesus Christ! I mean, I can imagine, you know, being at ringside watching out how that how that was. Yeah, it was spectacular. Um, yeah, my note right here talks about just how aggressive Laz was and how exciting that was to see because it was very different. And, um, you know, Paris had been in for that referee thing and was so sluggish. I was really worried about this match because I didn't remember it. So when it started, I was thinking, oh, God, I hope this isn't going to be bad. And I thought Paris held up his end, which was good. And uh, the finish was pretty mad. But, uh, yeah, I really like the aggressiveness and the fire from Laz in this. He really came off, you know, like a kick-ass baby face. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dan, your thoughts on this match? 
I mean, not much different than, than what Jeff had to say. I, I love the more aggressive side of Laz. We're going here. I feel like we're going in a really awesome direction with him, and I feel like we dropped the ball later. So remember that. Um, it's unfortunate, but I, I think this right here is awesome, and I think what we're about to see with him doing some things to evade this restraining order down the road is like some really great wrestling TV. Oh, yes. Cannot wait to talk about that as we get going. And we have the big rematch. AJ and David Young for the Wild Safeway title. Match from the previous show. There's no time limit since we had two time limit draws last time. Rip Michaels made his return, coming to the ringside, staring at both men before joining Dan and Steve at the announced desk. Of course, this match is clipped, but we have a strong. AJ would eventually crash to the floor where Rick made his move, attacking him, then throwing him back into the ring. David they climbed up top and hit a big springboard moonsault to win the match and the title. Bill Barons then showed up with David's young son, Chris, who whispered in David's ear that Rick attacked Styles. Rick then entered the ring picking up young Chris, who then kicked him in the balls before David would hit him with a big spine buster. David refused to win the title that way, and the match was ruled a no contest. Yeah, it's the heat finish right here. You know, bringing in you know Rick, uh, David's son and... You know, not David not wanting to win the title in that fashion. So, uh, yeah, a lot of storytelling going on with this, Dan. And, uh, again, I think very well done. Yeah, this this type of storytelling is seldom done in wrestling anymore where you're, like, weaving multiple issues in and out of things, and it's really effective. Uh, now, I, Jeff, I want him to, to maybe help me with this because I have asked Bill and others and I can't. Maybe I'm just making it up or maybe I smoked that brain cell away at some point. But I recall there being a giant blow up in the locker room prior to this match over the spot with the kid being involved. And I can't for the life of me remember who it was between. I, was it you, Jeff? <laughs> that, that, was it? Who, do you remember anything about what I'm talking about there? I kind of vaguely remember there being something like that. It wasn't me. And uh, I thought the kid was great in the finish. In fact, I mean, that was spectacular. His timing on the, the kick was great. But uh, no, I, uh, I don't recall who would have been upset about it. Are you thinking it was somebody who didn't like it being part of the show or somebody in the match? I recall that it was someone that was involved in the match did not like the way they were involving the kid. They thought it made them look stupid. So, I mean, it might have been Rick. I don't well, know. But then it was Rick because he's the one that gets kicked by the kid. And I thought, I thought Rick was great in this whole thing. When he was on commentary, his line about winning the tag titles back every time that David lost them is why they were four-time <laughs> champions yeah. was hilarious. I mean, that was a great line. Um, and Rick's sell of delivering the double shot on the floor, I thought was incredible because that floor is so hard and it hurts so bad. And when you see those guys do things like leg drops off the apron and you don't think about just what that's doing to them on that hard ass floor. So it was really, really great. I thought uh, this was something kind of special and uh, unique. Yeah. 
what are your thoughts on having children involved in wrestling angles, Jeff? I mean, do you think that, you know, there's a place for that or you think that just goes too far? Oh, I absolutely think there's a place for that. I mean, I thought, uh, who was it? It was Sandman's kid getting corrupted by Raven. I Tyler, thought that yeah. was great. That was a great angle. Um, this was just a little one shot thing with the kid telling David what happened and then kicking Rick when Rick grabbed him, which I thought it was fantastic. It's not like it was going to be a continuing story. And, uh, I thought the kid did great in it. Um, yeah, I don't have any, I mean, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, Dan, your thoughts on children and storylines. It just like anything in wrestling, like you can literally make an argument for any particular type of wrestling, style of wrestling, segment in wrestling, participant in wrestling, if it's done correctly. Um, so to make like people get all like in their feelings and butthurt about these things as if they're all absolutes and in some cases they are, but, but in the most, in most cases, like it just all comes down to execution. So I would not have a child out there going hold for hold, working a match with a wrestler. And some people might, I would disagree that that is good, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but you know, in a spot like this, where it's literally just the kid getting off that one lucky kick, right? Uh, yeah. Just the, the stranger danger defense mechanism. Uh, that's believable enough for the spot. And it got over huge and it worked great. So yeah, that's how I feel. About I think it it, ma- it makes sense here because of David and Rick's relationship more than anything else. Being that, you know, Absolutely. they, they were tag team partners for so long and, you know, all that stuff. So yeah, I, I think it works here. Sometimes ch- angles with children don't work, but that one, Definitely did. And you mentioned Sandman and Tyler Fulton and Raven. I think that worked, too, for reasons like that as well. Yeah, I I just want to add what Dan said, that I certainly don't think children should be in the ring wrestling or taking bumps. But, I mean, to be part of a story, yeah. I mean, I'm going to threaten David's kid at some point because, you know, the kid is part of the story. David has a kid, so he's fair game and a wrestling storyline. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. January 23rd, AJ Styles faced Hurricane Helms and Onyx faced Crash Holly at the Monday Jack Metal tapings in Greenville, South Carolina. AJ was invited to the tapings the next day in North Charleston, South Carolina, where he faced Rico Constantino. This is the second wrestler that Styles has battled who has used the role model name first used by Styles in Wildside. Constantino was a role model in OVW, and Styles' opponent tonight in Athens, Georgia, Jason Cross, has been using a role model name in Wildside in his long-running feud with uh, AJ Styles. AJ, AJ and Honest again getting WWE uh, tryout bids here, and um, yeah, I mean... Why not? I mean, you see what these guys could do and how they were going to perform. But, you know, AJ just, if he wanted to, he could have had a job. But, he's, you know, the story goes, he said before, he didn't want to move. And, you know, I don't blame him. If you don't want to get out of your comfort zone, then you don't have to. And it, it worked out well for him in the end. So I don't think he lost anything because... I mean, let's just let's let's see if if AJ Styles 
signs a developmental deal with WWE, and he goes and works for HWA or OVW, wherever they send him, Cincinnati, Louisville. Who knows what he becomes? Because in that time where he would have been in developmental, he's wild heavyweight champion. He starts working Ring of Honor. He's working other independents and main event positions. So, Dan, I'd say it worked out pretty damn well that he didn't sign a developmental deal at this point in time. Absolutely. Uh, That's part of all of this story here. After these dark matches that you just mentioned, he got offered his first developmental deal, and he did turn it down. Uh, A, the money was like 500 a week. I think it was very minuscule, uh, less than he was making on the indies and working his real job by far. But the big thing, which just shows you what a loyal human being that AJ always has been and still is to this day, is that his wife was in school at this point. So moving up there not only uproots him, but it either separates him and his wife for a period of time, or it forces her to give up on her dream and put it on hold to go join him while he pursues his. And he elected not to do that, to be the better man in this case, as opposed to, you know, looking out just for necessarily his career interests or just chasing an opportunity like he bid his time he picked the right opportunity and ultimately he made them come to him which is the greatest satisfaction ever is that you know he ultimately it was wwe that pursued him after he became a self-made star through Wildside and tna and japan and ring of honor etc um And it all kind of started right here with him saying no to this developmental contract after these dark matches. Yeah. All right. Wildside is pleased to announce its TV episode club. Presently, TV episodes are available online or through our catalog for $15 each or two for 20 with shipping included. Now, Wildside is offering one-year memberships delivering 52 episodes, two per tape for a one-time payment of $350. If ordered separately, 52 shows will cost $780. Or two shows per tape, $525. For the TV episode club, you save $170 to as much as $430. And shipping is free. You can start with any episode number. Episode 122 is the current episode. Just specify when ordering. Tapes will be sent every other week. Tapes come in hard boxes with full match listings. Oh, Dan, I had to put this in here. Um... Oh, for the days of VHS, huh? I mean, my God, look at this money that you guys were charging for these VHS tapes. But that's the way it was with VHS tapes. It ain't like blank DVDs. You, I mean, they cost money. And, you know, you had all the, the rigmarole of, dealing, of doing all the work and all that stuff. So I'm pretty sure that you had a hand in, in having to do all this. So how many people was as a rough estimate, actually took this offer and became members of the TV episode club. Not a ton. There was a couple, but it, it was, I would say less than 10, maybe even less than five. <laughs> um, but, um, but there were a few, uh, there were a few that joined it and I had to, you know, help build dub off the tapes and such over time. Um, the, I'm trying to remember I I really feel like just overall that maybe we could have done a better job with distributing the tapes. Like we still charged a really high premium for the big show tapes 
and for like this TV episode club is outlandishly expensive. <laughs> um, and, and you know, compared to now, it's all on YouTube for fucking free anyway. So you gotta wonder when you said, "Oh, maybe we could have done a better job of getting stuff out there." I mean, you know, we relied solely on the TV. Uh, And I think had we made the tapes a little more affordable, they would have been traded more liberally and uh, we might have had a bigger buzz than we did. Yeah. Yeah. Man. (laughs) Jeff, again, these young folks today just don't know how good they have it there, the (laughs) money-wise on this stuff. I mean, you know, nine ninety nine a month. You get streaming. Uh, you know all this stuff you can watch on streaming. And look at this these these prices for these tapes. It's crazy to think about because I mean, these are expensive, but they're not out of the norm expensive. I mean, if you didn't have stuff to trade for other tapes and you had to purchase wrestling tapes. They were twenty bucks a piece mm-hmm. anywhere you looked. I mean, it was twenty bucks, and some people's were more. And uh, it's crazy because now, I mean, like you said, with IWTV, everything's right there at the touch of a button. Just, just thousands of shows. It's incredible. Or, I mean, or, we really yeah, were in the wrestling dead zone from 1999 to 2015 it really is just an alternate universe of wrestling yeah yeah i'd go i'd probably go even earlier than that you know uh i'd say you know 99 until you know the in the late 2000s once dvds started becoming more prevalent people were able to, to buy more stuff at a cheaper price Right, but, but my, my, yeah, my goodness, yeah, these young folks—they just don't know how good they got it. All right, Athens at the Georgia Theater on January twenty-fifth. What a moment this is! White Trash received a special award at this show. Trash in a wheelchair was given an award by Wildside CEO Jeff G. Bailey, who then came out and gave a speech giving adulation to Trash. Dan's there, too, of course. Bailey talked about how much he gave to the promotion, which seemed sincere. Bailey then shook his hand right before Iceberg came from behind, rolled Trash off the stage to the floor, with Bailey screaming on the mic about how Trash was a piece of shit, and he hoped Trash and all the fans died on their way home from the show. (laughs) I've I've heard some promoters buried the fans before, and in the state of Georgia, definitely, but, uh, I've never heard of somebody acting as the CEO of promotion tell all the fans he hoped they died as they went home. <laughs> this aired on television. It was taped in Athens, but it aired on TV. I I laughed so hard at this, Jeff. I could only I could I couldn't see how you two could keep a straight face when when Dan's awarding the uh, the special award, which I'll let Dan. Dan, go ahead and describe. What was the name of the award that you gave White Trash? Oh, it was the Outstanding Achievement in the Field of Excellence. (laughs) I mean, this is just amazing. I mean, Jeff, you got to talk about this. I mean, whose idea was this? Uh, I mean, give give us the background on all this. 
I have to assume this was White Trash's idea. I mean, and Andrew, because this is Andrew's show. And uh, this is White Trash's swan song. This is his last appearance. And I mean, he gets there early in the day and he's on that stage in that wheelchair with that blanket covering his withering legs. (laughs) He's crippled and glad handing those fans and just, just loving up everybody that came in. So he's just, you know, everybody's in love with white trash. And then I come out there and I mean, I say all the real things about him that I feel like he contributed to the company that me, Jeff, a real person thought. And then of course, (laughs) iceberg comes out and rolls his wheelchair off the stage. And I get to be Jeff G Bailey and tell him he's a piece of shit. And I hope he dies. And, they they scooped him up off the floor and rushed him out of there to a car and got him out of there like he was going to the hospital and stuff. And, uh, you know, all those people were convinced he was in that wheelchair for a reason. And then to see him get pushed off that stage, it was it was really strong. And, uh, yeah. You know, tell them I, I wish they all died. You know, that was just a little extra. Like, you, you think you're mad. Let me see if I can make you matter. <laughs> all right, Dan, you're up there too for all this. So give us your perspective. Well, the Athens shows were always the best house shows anyway. The crowds are always drunk and lively. And I, I don't think it says Georgia Theater, but I. I'm thinking this was at the 40 watt, which is a different club. It looks smaller. Yeah, the Georgia Theater was the big venue where Jason Cross and AJ did like the the match where they brawled off the stage. We had the ring up on the stage and they fought off and AJ ran up the wall and shit. This was a considerably smaller venue. Um, We did shows in a few different bars after that in Athens. And one of them was the famous 41. I think this might have been there. But regardless, Athens always showed up and showed out. The town was awesome. The fans were awesome. And uh, White Trash, just a real pro going out on his back. Not a lot of guys will do that, but that is really doing good business. If you're leaving somewhere, you might as well do something to put someone else over on the way out. So White Trash letting Iceberg roll him off a stage in a fucking wheelchair (laughs) to finish him up is uh, a great way to go out. Oh man, it's hilarious! I love this, love this part. God, it's great. All right, so y'all drew 125 fans that night in Athens. We have uh, Kid Cool, Sal Dario, and Mike Pittman over Crew Jones, Slim J, and Scott Cage in the opener. Jimmy Rave over Todd Sexton. AJ Styles retained the Wild Side Heavyweight Title, beating Jason Cross. Paul Alexander over Cooter Calhoun. The the forms were repossessed. Um, the Lost Boys went to no contest with Blackout. And Rick Michaels beat David Young in a street fight. So there you go. Athens on uh, the 25th. Always fun shows in Athens. I wish we had more results of those shows. Sometimes we, they're, they're missing. So uh, good stuff here. That street fight between Rick and David is fantastic. Oh, I'm sure it was. I mean, it is fantastic. They have two of them in Athens, and they are both just, I mean, fights all over the building. Just incredible stuff. Yes, absolutely. I think that's the one where they actually go into the physical street. 
Yeah, there you go. Hey, a street fight should be in the streets. <laughs> it, all of them, Which, you know. Yeah, that that was awesome. That always adds an extra element to it when you leave the building and there's traffic. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> all right, so February 1st at the NCW Arena, the Friday Night Show. We've got some interesting matches on this show. Cooter Calhoun over Sergeant Overkill. Dirt over Kevin uh, Super Destroyer. Shadow Jackson, Kevin Harden, and Johnny Cycle over Tony Givens, Oni and Deuce, Homicide and Rain Man over Jeremy V and Dango Win. Then you got the Lost Boys over Darren Fate and Sweet Dreams, Sal Dario, Kid Cool, and Kuda Cajun over Crew Jones, Slim J, and Paul Alexander. And then Mike Pittman and Scott Cage over Kamikaze Kid and Chaos, and David Young and Jimmy Ray tag teaming up to beat. Roderick and Cedric Strong uh, making their way up from Florida for this. So, uh, yeah, Dan, an interesting show here. Some very interesting names. Yeah, a lot of times when guys would come up, either we're getting a, a shot on TV. I think the Strong Brothers were getting a they shot on the TV. The next night, yeah. Yeah, I, a lot of times they would come up and go ahead and do the Friday, too. So, you know, we would have them for both nights. And uh, these guys were young kids coming up. Actually, they kind of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way in the locker room because they were just kind of green and mouthy. But um, but they were fucking good. And, of course, like, obviously, that didn't last. Like, th- those dudes lasted a long time. And then Roderick Strong ended up becoming a huge star. So, you know, everybody's green. Like, don't. <laughs> it happens. But that dude ended up being fucking great. Uh, but here, it's just uh, just getting his feet wet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Dango Win showing up again as well. <laughs> Where is he? Where'd he go? There he is. <laughs> yeah, I think he moved away or something. Because you know, if Dango was available, Bill was going to use him. He was an all-time Bill favorite. So I, you know, I think he might have either moved back to Michigan or had gone and moved on into start doing some of the stunt work that he was later known for uh but he you know he was just out of the business i think and not working at that time yeah all right february 2nd at the arena uh tv tape for the 9th and 16th david young cuts promo backstage for the show talking about how he did all the work when he teamed rick michaels and bad attitude making the sacrifice while rick got all the glory and he doesn't need him anymore young is tired of rick's shit he'll go to him and he'll get the wild safeway title very strong promo from David. Oh, God, yes, Jeff. David's fantastic here in this promo, talking about all of his issues here. I mean, just great stuff. Yeah, this was David's best promo since he's been in the company. And, uh, you know, he's feeling himself. He's had these great singles matches, and uh, this is his moment, and he really delivered on this promo. Absolutely, Dan. I mean, and the thing about, about David Young promo is it's believable. I mean, you believe exactly what he's saying. He is a believable Southern badass. I always thought David was just such an amazingly well-rounded worker. Um, You know, oh, he had a little bit of a belly. I guess that's the worst thing you could say about him. I mean, he talked, he spoke with conviction and passion, and you believed he was pissed off and coming for revenge. And that's not just this promo. That's all the promos in this feud as we move through this. Like, he's just really on it. Uh, this is where we start giving him the Messiah of the Spinebuster 
moniker, which just, you know, emphasizes that, like, we wanted to push hard, that there was nobody better in the business that did that move than him at that point, uh, you know, especially with Arn Anderson being retired. So we were just going to fucking take that throne, whether anybody liked it or not, and uh, put David in it. And uh, David was like, yeah, I can't say enough positive things about how awesome this promo is. Babyface promo 101 as far as, like, if you're in an angle with somebody and they fucked you over. Messiah the Spinebuster, huh? Interesting that that terminology is being used here considering Roderick Strong's in town. And, you know, um, 15 years later, he becomes Messiah the Batbreaker. Well, <laughs> it's funny. I've it been out. somewhat influential. If you haven't watched recent oh, television I, programs, to absolutely. see that my my influence reaches far and wide. Yes, it does. Yes, yes. You you have a lot of pull in the in the wrestling business, so to speak. All right. So speaking of the Strongs, they worked in a dark match, uh, losing to Self Delay and Sal Dario. So there you go. Um. Crew Jones and Slim J against Jeremy V and Mike Pittman. Again, a little mixed match of the feuds. This is an interesting match of some of the wild size young up and coming talent clip, but what we get's really good action, especially from Slim J, who was on fire here with his high flying moves. I really dug the uh, Crew Slim team. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't think that, you know, gimmick wise, that they would work well together as a team, but I, yeah, Jeff, I thought that Crew and Slim J did very well here together as a tag team. It's incredible to think Crew is just a few matches into this one bad mofo gimmick, and he's got his shtick down completely. I mean, everything is hitting. He's got his Heisman pose. He's got his big clothesline. You got Pittman out there bumping huge for him on stuff. Um, it was a really, really good match of, again, four young lions out there, you know, all getting a chance to showcase themselves. And uh, Crew and Slim is just, you know, a more cross-pollination of here's two heels, here's two baby faces. They're all young lions. They're all on the come up. Let's get them in a match together. And uh, they went out there and delivered. Absolutely, yes. Uh, Dan, what were your thoughts on this? It was incredibly entertaining. I wish we had seen more of Crew and Slim as a tag team here. I think we were on to something that we we didn't even realize, and we probably could have gotten more mileage out of that uh, tremendous match. Was this the one where Big Biz takes the bump? Gotta be, because Big Biz is about gone. So okay, it's gotta be. Okay, so there another got to put over Big Biz again here. He's fucking great in the Memphis buffoon manager role. Um, you know, of course, I mentioned that he's sweating buckets at ringside. It continues doing that here. It is fucking great spot where he comes in and he's got a Twinkie in his hand and the babyface takes the fucking Twinkie and smashes it in his face. And he does this beautiful Watusi feeding <laughs> right back around into the punch for the big bump. I mean, his timing was fucking spot on there. And that's the kind of shit that I wish I saw more of today and i i hope to like impart on some of the current generation is like timing shit like that is so wonderful and when done right is just so it's hilarious it gets the spot over it gets the big pop um underrated stuff from big biz <laughs> yeah just fantastic 
I, I just want to add that yeah. when we're talking about big biz sweat buckets out here, it's January and February yeah. in a non-heated building. Yes. <laughs> I know. Um, so next we get Dan interviewing AJ Styles in the ring, talking about all the challenges for his title, as well as his opportunity to get a WF trial, as well as competing in the ECWA Super 8, which is a huge deal back in this time period. Still important today, but huge in this time, point in time. Adam Jacobson attacked Styles from behind with a 2 by 4 and told him he just laid the lumber on his punk ass. Jacobs said he was tired of Styles getting all the praise, and he had his Super 8 right here, bitch, as he stomped him. AJ got up and told Jacobs that he would wrestle him later. I thought Adam was great here in this in this segment, Jeff, because usually you're the one doing all the talking and leading him along the way, but he, he this is him, all Adam right here, taking it to AJ. Yeah, this was great because it gave Adam a chance to shine on his own, and of course, you know, the fact that I have 50 people that I'm dealing with right now as the CEO, it, it gave me a chance to not be out there, and uh AJ and Adam had a really great chemistry with each other. I mean, they, they just had something when they uh, went face-to-face -face with each other. And uh, I really like this a lot. I mean, he really smacked him good with that board. And uh, <laughs> I've got your Super 8 right here is about as classic a lot of its time as you can have. <laughs> and, yeah, like I was saying, Dan, I mean that – at this point in time, the Super 8, I mean, that's the indie tournament. I mean, yeah, we had King of the Indies, but this is the yearly indie tournament, man. If you're in this, I mean, you're something. Oh, yeah. So AJ's rise continues even after he turned down the WWE deal. Uh, there's a, a, a it's a big opportunity for him to go up. And that's basically what his promo was about was to like set the table that AJ is. He is making us proud. He is traveling the country. He is doing all of these cool fucking things. And, of course, Adam's a little jealous of that. Um, and laying the lumber was an Adam Jacobs phrase that he used often in, in backstage and sometimes in promos, which was just like that was the real him. If you'd ask him what was up, he'd be like, oh, goddamn, you know, just hanging and banging, girl, just fucking laying that goddamn lumber. Uh, <laughs> and so... Uh, we like Adam was one of those guys like Brad Armstrong. If you ever heard the stories about him was such a hilarious and charismatic dude behind the scenes, but it never came through on camera. Um, Adam was one of those guys and it came through a little on camera with him as a heel, but we felt that he could do more because he was just such a fucking hilarious and crazy personality in real life. And so this was an attempt to try to get more of the real Adam out there in front of the people. And, uh, it, and it worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was good shit. All right. Uh, off TV match here Honest retained the TV title over Sergeant overkill. So there's that, uh, Caprice Coleman and Jason cross. These two have had a lot of hot feud going on lately, and this should be a hell of a match. They worked in very technical style, all kind of wacky near falls in succession, which popped the crowd. Caprice had crossed dead the rice, but Blackout ran out, attacked Caprice, causing a DQ. Lost Boys ran out to even odds. Blackout would beat the shit out of Lost Boys, especially Azrael, who's bleeding all over the place. Oh, yes. He he, he was gushing blood here, uh, Jeff. I mean, they, they, they got him good. Yeah, we got that great uh, zoom in of the camera. So you can see that big puddle. 
under his head and like a good boy he kind of leans over into it to get more on his face i was really proud of that <laughs> he learned well <laughs> it had that, we had that great still at the end of his face it looks like the uh the decline of western civilization one <laughs> album cover of darby crash laying there where he looks like he's dead with the blood where like the ink stuff is on darby's face it's all it's just blood all over Azrael's face and it was a great still I, I really liked that a lot and uh I, I liked everything about this i mean anytime jason and caprice get together it's incredible i mean they do things that other guys can't do with each other yeah i think they had the uh the around the ring post spin kick that he gave him <laughs> god <laughs> priest is so spectacular yeah and yeah. Jason as well. I mean, of course. The more I watch of him, I just think this is this is the guy that that really people need to to discover if they're unfamiliar with because because this stuff with Jason and Caprice is great. Well, these guys are like made to work with each other, like kind of like Jason and AJ, but in a different way. You know, I mean, they have a different chemistry, but it's still strong. Right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Dan. What were your thoughts on this? Uh, you know, big fan of the the bloody beatdown, of course. Uh, always a big fan of that anytime you get one of those. But yeah, I mean, the Jason Caprice feud was one of those legendary wild side feuds. Jason Cross, truly one of the big misses in wrestling history. I know a lot of that was maybe on Jason, but um, there, I don't know that there was a better dude, period, as a worker that didn't reach the success to match his level of talent. You know, he, and you know, a lot of it was him being flaky and, and not showing up to bookings and stuff like that. But I mean, holy shit, you know, he was a little injury prone too, but he was so fucking good. And Caprice as well. I mean, now Caprice did have a great career and still is having one. He's still out there kicking ass actually. Um, and of course, you know, has done a great job transitioning into a commentator for ring of honor. That's wonderful. But, uh, he's still at like an elite level in ring talent and, uh, kind of a miss there too. I, I really feel like he should have been a bigger star as a wrestler. Uh, just both of these guys are fucking fantastic. And, and of course the angle was great. Mm-hmm. All right, Jeff comes out next with uh, Jason and Adam by his side, talking about how Jason and Adam are better than AJ ever wanted to be. Then, as this is happening, we get clips of Iceberg attacking David Young in the parking lot as Bailey is giving all the accolades of Cross and Jacobs to the fans who have no idea what's going on outside. Young then recovered, ran in the ring where he got jumped by Cross and Jacobs, where he bled some more until Caprice and AJ ran them off with a chair. I thought there was some interesting editing going on here, Dan, where you guys interspersed what was going on outside the building with what's going on inside the building, even though it's kind of dark outside. Yeah, I don't know how we did that. Um, I, I think Andrew just synced it up. And that way, you know, if, if you have like a sound, like for the bell or ring announcer or something, that you can sync up the two cameras, then then I guess that he used the footage that way because I don't think we had any sort of live mixer or any way to live cut to that now like you would at most shows. Uh, you know, it was very <laughs> primitive editing in those days. Yeah, Jeff, you're you're a part of this in the ring. How do you think this came off with David coming up already bloodied up and then getting beat down some more here? 
I had totally forgotten this had happened. And I really liked the the job of the cutting back and forth, you know, the stuff's going on out there while we're in the ring talking. I, I thought it worked pretty well. I mean, you don't hear everything I'm saying in the ring because of it, but that's fine because that's a pretty big angle out there of Iceberg getting on David. Um I said Adam's been through more condoms than vivid video. <laughs> yes. That's a great line. Um, hey, big wrestling fan, Steve Hirsch of the video. Yes. So uh, that, that was, that was fun. I, I liked everything about this. I mean, it's just, everything is building and, and everybody, you know, if you're a heel, you're against all the baby faces. And if you're a baby face, you're against all the heels and, and anybody can kind of be in anybody's angle at this point. And, uh, it was great. I mean, you know, it's like, you're not the number one contender, David. And I think this might be where I said, he's not bleeding enough for me. Iceberg, <laughs> cut him up some more. Yeah. All right, so follow that up with Jeremy Lopez defending the junior weight title against Kasayashi. Needs to go back to uh, WCW. This is Bill as Hayashi's final match in the United States. And these two worked against each other quite a few times in the past. It should be really good, but of course, it would be joined in progress. What we got was very good back and forth action when both men trained big moves for Lopez for the chain. Hayashi blocked it, hit an STO. Hayashi had Lopez pinned, but he would hit Andrew Thomas with the chain. Speedy Nelson ran out and tried to make a count. Hayashi thought he was a champion, but Thomas reversed the decision, knocked Speedy out of the ring. Lopez then KO'd Thomas again, this time by mistake, and brawled with Hayashi one more time. T too busy, Jeff? Was this too busy of a finish here with all this stuff going on? My note says the finish was clunky. So, yes. yes. I mean, it just, it, it was too much. It just... It was more than it was needed for a match like this. I mean, it's a thing where Kaz is in and he's going to have this match and then he's going to be gone. They just needed to have a good wrestling match without all this extra stuff at the end because they did have a good wrestling match. But I, I thought the finish was just, it was overbooked. Yeah. And, I mean, Dan Kasayashi's not coming back, so why not do a job? Yeah, that would have seemed to have made the most sense. I guess this is the finish they wanted to do. Uh, some kind of dusty finish to where, you know, he was protected a little bit. Uh, but I, I don't see why he couldn't have just put him over. But it was what it was. It was the, the bell to bell was really strong. Uh, Kaz had been in a few times before, both teaming with Jimmy Yang as the Young Dragons and also in a singles. Uh, he'd worked. Uh, one time the Young Dragons worked against suicidal tendencies, and I think Kaz might have even worked Adam Jacobs in a single. And I know the chemistry was really off there. There was a language barrier. Two great workers, but just could never get on the same page. This was much different because Lopez had all that experience in Japan, and the communication was a lot better. And uh, these two had worked together before, so they they really went hard in the actual wrestling. But I, I would agree that the finish was was overdone. Well, you would think uh, Hayashi would be able to speak redneck. He worked with Jamie Noble. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jamie Noble, Adam Jacobs, there's similarities there in their, uh, in their speech and cadence. <laughs> you would think 
think. Now, I don't know. I, my recollections of Kaz were he, he did not speak much English at all, uh, unless he was ribbing everybody. But Possibly. I remember the, w, yeah. the, the WCW guys used to tell him, like, very foul cuss words in English and not tell him what they meant and just have him <laughs> so be like, hey, go tell that guy he's a horse cock. <laughs> And one time at a house show, he came up to me and goes, hey, horse cock. Oh, <laughs> oh, hilarious. All right. So next we get Gabriel against Homicide. Azrael was hurt earlier in the show. So Gabriel's going along with Homicide. He comes up blazing from the jump, taking the both Homicide in the ring and Rayman outside the ring. Rayman would get pulled under the ring. It was Azrael who did it. Which distracted Homicide, who got pinned by Gabriel after a fireball was thrown. Fun finish. Yeah, this feud's going on here and going strong, Dan. And um, yeah, another uh, another point in the story here. And uh, we get a fireball. Always fun in wrestling. A great angle actually saved by the editing here because I fucking hate fire in wrestling generally. I mean, it's awesome when it works, but don't get me wrong. Uh, nine times out of ten, it's a disaster. Uh, like, we, we actually did a fire spot recently that went off really well, which I was surprised because it usually is a failure. The editing saved this. What happened here? The fireball lights up, but as he's coming to hit him in the face with it, it goes out. So on the raw footage, <laughs> <laughs> you just see a, a cinder, a, a, a brown burnt piece of flash paper that is out just fly up and pop murder one right between the eyes <laughs> so it looked fucking terrible but the editing saved it and made it look like it was this super devastating thing and then murder one came back selling it with the bandages and shit uh it ended up being a great angle but could have been a disaster yeah it's it's risky to play with fire wrestling isn't it jeff it is. It's risky to play with real fire, but it's risky to play with flash paper, especially when Chintzy Bill would give you one sheet instead of giving you <laughs> a sheet and make a big ball for a big fireball. I mean, this isn't the last time we have a not-so-good fireball. And I always blamed it on Bill not using enough flash paper. He's like, it's expensive. I'm like, <laughs> but give me five sheets of it you know let me throw a big giant fireball but he was cheap <laughs> so then we sorry got, bill it's true yeah. so then we got another promo by david young backstage about what happened to him earlier in the show and reopened his own cut so he's bleeding while i was talking about how the elite was on his hit list as well as styles because he wants to belt again another strong promo by david here jeff yeah, it was, but actually there's a segment here that you skipped over. Okay, yeah, I was, I was is, wondering about this. Go which ahead. is a very weird, like 30 or 40 seconds, there's two women in the ring shoving on each other, Andrew's trying to break it up, the music hits, it's New Jack coming out, Andrew takes a hilarious bump, out of the ring trying to run away from New Jack coming out and then that's all there is. We don't see anything that happens after that. So I don't know what the hell that was. I would assume this is one of those things that Bill was talking about, a Steve editorial decision. Like, 
he just wasn't going to show New Jack. And uh, I don't know if that's right. Maybe Dan will have more insight on that. But it was a very weird, like, under a minute little segment there, just sandwiched in between. Dan, what do you remember about that? That's that's all I remember. The same as Jeff, not shit. Um, You know, Jack was in often when he was around and you know bill would come up with something for him to do we usually wouldn't find out he was going to be there until the day of or the day before so it would usually be something kind of like this he probably brought those women i I think i do recall a time where he brought some (laughs) chicks with him so maybe that was that was it uh but i i don't remember what happened and and it was some sort of editing thing well there you go (laughs) all right um then we get night vision footage of the Lost Boys in a graveyard, which is ominous. Oh, Dan, we've we talked about some these types of uh, little deals y'all did here at this point in time. Um, about what time of night was this shot in? Oh, these were all usually shot very late after the shows, typically. So, you know, I mean, it's going to be 12, 1 o'clock before we get out of the building uh, after we filmed all of the commentary intros and other promos that are in the arena uh if it's at night unless they went out and did it on their own which is possible but usually not it was you usually had to be directed by somebody yeah i love i love wildside always using night vision in these promos as well always good stuff <laughs> then we get big henry austin terry knight these two have started up a rivalry recently and knight attacked Haas immediately as well as speedy nelson Knight used Henry's own horseshoe as a weapon before bringing in a chair. This is ruled no contest. So we had a double count out in the first match. Now we have a no contest, short but sweet, and the field continues. So there you go. Next we get Laz and Air Paris. These two have had some issues lately as well. Laz again comes out intense with no dance before the match. Iceberg, though, would show up instead of Air Paris. Uh-oh. As Bailey came out saying that Paris had already beaten up Laz and he was facing Iceberg instead. Bailey told Laz that uh, he knew he would rather be at home counting his T-cells, but he was going to die tonight, thanks to Iceberg. Uh, For folks that don't know what T-cells is, (laughs) um, T-cells is a way to find out if you have AIDS. You use your T-cells count to determine if you have HIV. So there's Jeff's correlation there. Um, Last gave it all he had, taking it to Iceberg, and had him reel until Bailey would get involved, allowing Iceberg to brutalize Last some more. Jason Cross would join Iceberg as they beat up all the young wild side baby faces who try to make the save. As Bailey asks, "Who the hell they were? Who are you?" <laughs> Jake as it came out with the, his lumber, and he was about to lay it on Laz until Tank came running through the front door with a chainsaw and chased the elite off. <laughs> All right, first things first, Jeff. Uh, Frank's gone again, huh? Yes. <laughs> Just <laughs> like that. <laughs> and poof, he was gone. God bless him. But yes, he he would disappear. So, um, yeah, Iceberg's a good replacement for him, and this worked out well. Um, and you got the, the beat down at the end, and Tank running out with a chainsaw, which uh, you guys sold greatly. As a, <laughs> it was like a cartoon. Y'all running like, running for the hills when that when he came out. Yeah, I think I, I even screamed, run, run, run! 
I, I believe this was the one with the mask midget. Where I okay, there you go. All those people. Because uh, I don't know who some of those people were. I mean, I really didn't know who they were. And, uh, That's fantastic. And and for future reference, if you have to explain the joke, it's it's definitely not funny anymore. So I, well, you gotta you gotta remember this. Uh, we're in twenty twenty two, so uh, you know the people don't talk about HIV as much anymore. I mean, yes, I mean you see the commercial on television about all the medicine you can take to you know help control it and whatever, but. I mean, T cells. That was a big thing, you know. That that was a you know part of the conversation, you know, in the eighties and nineties and stuff, and even at this point in time. So, yeah, we're, we got to remember just mid twenty years. I, you know, <laughs> there's people that are listening to this that were either t- not born or toddlers. So <laughs> we're getting yeah, we're getting old. That- that explanation probably turns them off more than it turns them on, unfortunately. <laughs> and they're going, God, this guy's gross. Where it could have just been like they didn't know. <laughs> Dan, Dan, what were your thoughts on Tank and the Chainsaw running everybody out of here? Uh, well, well, first of all, I mean, Jeff is, I love him, but God damn, what a vile motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> That, and that's a compliment. <laughs> I mean, who says the shit? Like, we already got a fucking Holocaust reference and an AIDS joke. So, you know, would have would have already been fucking well canceled had uh, had this happened now. Uh, even though you know it's a fictional character and he's playing a villain, uh, but what a fucking villain! Jesus Christ! <laughs> Just had to comment on that. Holy shit! Like that is that is healed. As heel can be. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Tank with a Chainsaw is one of my favorite wild side spots. Uh, and it was just the best answer. It's one of those off-the-wall things. I don't know who came up with it. Tank might have came up with it himself, because maybe he bought a new fucking chainsaw. I don't know. I don't remember where it originated. But obviously, the odds are stacked, because not only does Jeff have the iceberg, this indestructible killing machine who's slaughtering five and six motherfuckers at a time, he has all of the heels in the company on his side. So how are you going to stop the NWA elite? Who is going to stand up to them? So Tank just says, fuck it i'll get a chainsaw and i bet them motherfuckers will run from that and he <laughs> was right <laughs> absolutely yes very effective blackout then cut a promo next time about the lost boys and how they, 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 they have done the absolute wrong thing and they should have finished them off homicide with his face all wrapped up cut a great promo here vowing his revenge Yes, he looked like the elephant man. <laughs> so this fireball. <laughs> I mean, he's all all wrapped up. I mean, it is hilarious here watching him. But yeah, it's, it's, this is a hell of a promo that he cut here and all this. So this feud uh, going stronger and stronger as we go along. Next, we get Jimmy Raven, Todd Sexton in a babyface match. Interesting match. Going fine until both men get distracted by Jeremy Lopez as he joins the announce booth. They got it back together, had a really fine match for being joined by Tony Mamaluke at ringside, who would attack Raven on the floor. Lopez got into an argument with Tony Mamaluke on the floor, and Sexton and Raven first watched, then dove on both of them, ending in a four-way brawl. So, yeah, we're just continuing moving this along. You know, just all that's going on here. But a good match, nonetheless. And then we get 
the main event. Wasa Huertado, AJ Styles, defending against Adam Jacobs. This is clipped, but as long as we miss too much. Very good stuff here from as both men take it to each other, but Styles will reign supreme at the end of Styles Clash to retain his title, and he got a shot in on Bailey for good measure. So, Jeff, I mean, just a really good match. AJ goes over clean, you know, putting him over. It's that simple. On to the next one. It's the rise of AJ. I mean, he's the champ. He's the guy. Um, and that's what heels do. <laughs> they make baby faces. And uh, we got the best baby face in the world right now. So we're looking good. And my bump was spectacular from the kick to the head by AJ at the end, too. I was really uh, happy with that. Yeah, we should be. We should be. All right, February the 6th on the Wild Side website, they had a top 30 singles ranking list. Uh, Shinyashimoto, World Heavyweight Champion. So he's that. AJ Styles, Wild Side Champion, ranked number one. Then David Young, Rick Michaels, Adam Jacobs, Jason Cross, Onyx, Iceberg, Tank, Jeremy Lopez, Jimmy Rave, Todd Sexton, Tony Mamaluke, Caprice Coleman, Laz, Terry Knight, Big Henry Haas, Homicide, Rain Man, Gabriel, Azriel, Crew Jones, Jamie V, Mike Pittman, Cooter Calhoun, Sal De Rio, Kid Cool, Slim J, Sweet Dreams, Kevin Harden, and 30th place, a tie between Scott Cage, Derek Driver, and Paul Alexander. Dan, it seems like this list is just, uh, this guy's here, this guy here, this guy, the tag teams are going to put them together, one, one, one guy over the other. I mean, what a list this is. Who made this list? Did you have anything to do with this? Maybe. I mean, it looks like a bill list. I mean, it's definitely his typing, but I, I could have had some part in suggesting it. I was always a big fan of top 10 rankings. Um, but, like, this was just mainly content. You know, yeah. we had the Wild Side website, we had the message board. Like, we tried to just put shit out there. I would try to write articles from time to time promoting the feuds and shit. And, you know, we'd come up with different little gimmicks like rankings to post regularly. And, uh, you know, sometimes tried to incorporate them in the feuds. It, it gets convoluted when you try to overdo that sometimes, but it is nice to just have something like for a random match, like AEW kind of does it now. If, if if two guys are just having a random match, well, if one of them's a number two and one of them's a number eight, well, then it means a little something more um that's all but like also you can kind of put yourself into a corner doing that shit as well yeah but it wasn't like you guys were pushing this on television as as the be all end all so there's that too no it's mainly just website content yes february 8th friday night at the coliseum at the coliseum at the city arena we have Kevin Harden and Shadow Jackson over uh, Shadow Jackson of the Thugs with Psycho at ringside defeating Deuce and Chaos. Jason Wild, that's W Y L D E over Major Havoc. Dirt over Johnny Psycho by DQ if the Shadow used Dirt's sign as a weapon. Mike Pittman, Scott Cage, Derek Driver made to save. Goff over Viper with Little Bruno. Mike Pittman, Scott Cage, Derek Driver over the Thugs. Drew Jones went against Todd Saxon and beat the champ title match. During the match, Speedy Nelson was accidentally bumped. Uh, Crew Jones would use a set of brass knuckles on Sexton. Destiny interfered, but was accidentally bumped from the ring apron by Crew. Sexton made the pin and was announced as a winner until Nelson discovered the brass knuckles on Sexton. Reversed the decision, but Crew remained the champion. 
In the main event was a four-way elimination match with Blackout, G-Rated, Future Shock, and the Lost Boys. That's a fun main event. Lost Boys were first to be eliminated by DQ after using a steel chair on Homicide. Future Shock and G-Rated follow, leaving Blackout as the winners and still the tag team champions. After the match, Blackout destroyed G-Rated until the Lost Boys made the save with Azrael throwing fire again. So a fun Friday night show here, Dan. Good main event. Yeah, sometimes we tried to... You know, it's a tough balance. Like You had the guys that lived in the area that were stars, so they were on most of the Friday night shows. And then the guys that drove in for TV from long distances typically were not. So they were filled out with a lot of uh, tryouts and drive-ins and guys just showing up and hoping to get a spot. Um, and, but we did have some guys that were on TV and, and had a push, so we were able to strike that balance of it being a tryout student show and doing stuff that did actually make people want to come see it occasionally. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what you got to do sometimes. Now, also that night, there's some uh, wild side talent in St. Petersburg, Florida at uh, Ron Nemi's IPW, Valentine's Vengeance at the Russellplex. We had Billy Five retain the IPW heavyweight title beating Nature Boy, Black Nature Boy Scooter Andrews. And AJ Styles, so retain his title. Back and forth as a match could get. Each man getting in his finisher. Styles connected with a Styles Clash on fives. Only to walk into Scoot's forces of nature. As Scoot went for the victory, five snuck up behind him, delivered the fifth dimension. And Scoot on Scoot to retain the title. The entire crowd gave all three men a stand ovation in the show. And then the number one contender match, David Young with the Hardcore Princess defeated Marvelous Mike Sullivan with XTC. This match was aesthetically a technically sound contest with Young looking to pick up the W after hitting his spine buster. Those thoughts would be erased as soon as Sullivan got out of the way of his moonsault, hit a top rope belly belly suplex. As he covered Young, though, Hardcore Princess distracted the referee, keeping Young from being pinned. This led to Young rolling up Sullivan in the corner with his feet on the ropes to steal away the victory in this highly contested match. So there you go, Jeff. You got uh, a, uh, AJ and, and David going to St. Petersburg for IPW and looking good here. Yeah, that's those. These are great things. This looks like a good show. Um, the hardcore princess that that's one of the women who were in the ring. I think for the New Jack segment that we had that we didn't have. Well, there, you, that, there you go. One girl, so I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, it's great to see David and AJ getting out. Yeah, absolutely, the right thing to do. Um, let's see here. All right, so on the ninth in Nashville, at Burt Prentice's USA Wrestling at the Fairgrounds, we had a fan participation strap match between James Storm's Rip, James Storm and Rip Michaels, which no no contest. Match went on early because Storm was working a double shot and needed to get down to Columbia, Tennessee. Michaels came out in a raincoat and long pants, zero skin exposure. He tried to make friends with the Lumberjacks. Fans were yelling at Michaels to take it off. Michaels sort of lumberjack his rules, beating the living crap out of Storm, but let Michaels catch his breath. Storm told Michaels he was going to get his ass whipped on all four sides, then having it whipped one more time when he got back in the ring. Storm threw Michaels out right away. Fans are calling Rick chicken shit as the lumberjacks tried to strap him with the raincoat on. Big dude got him one really good shot. Big lumberjack. Michaels avoided that side for the rest of the match. A couple of them got frustrated and strapped referee Anthony Ingram instead. Now that was funny. Storm brawl when Michaels got the coat off, only to find him wearing a heavy shirt underneath. Storm used a lair for near fall and stripped Michaels of his shirt. Michaels used a shot to the nuts and dumped Storm, but the lumberjacks would not strap him. 
Michael's in a Lawler-style fist drop and a new variation of double shot with a face buster part dud from a fireman's carry. Michael's untied one of the turnbuckle pads. Storm turning around by ramming Michael's head to the exposed buckle. Michael's got color. Storm nailed Michael's with a super kick for a good near fall. Michael's DDT'd him for a two count. Storm catapulted Michael's to the floor, but no serious damage was done with the straps. They exchanged punches on the inside. Match broke down to a brawl. Referee Anthony Ingram got popped by both Michael's and Storm. Eric Hicks jumped in a second referee, took a clubbing blow from Storm. The bell rang as they continued the brawl with both refs down. Storm had Michael set up for the swinging noose when the Bayface dressing room intervened. They did a pull-up bar brawl with both dressing rooms getting to the act. To be continued. Michael's accidentally cold caught Slim J by on, on his way out. Great sell job by Slim J. Um Yes, Burt Show and Jeff, I know you're here. Dan, you're here too, right? Yes, I I was on most of these Burt shows that uh, that Jeff and the rest of the Wild Side guys were on in a in a bunch at this point. Uh, there were a few that I missed. Uh, I know the one where Rick actually got hurt. I was not there, but uh, I was on this one, and those were always fun shows. The crowd. I think I told this story on the last episode. But uh, they, they weren't quite ready for a rock and roll ring announcer in Nashville. Yeah. Um, I, I got, you know, a little bit of heat, which I wasn't intending to do. <laughs> I was not trying to take any attention away from the talent. But in an old school arena like Nashville, I, I got some catcalls of Elton John for the glasses that I wore. <laughs> <laughs> but always fun to work at the fairgrounds, the historic venue. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it sounds like it was a hell of a little match here with uh, Rick and James Storm, Dan. They had a great chemistry. This was really the start of a big feud. I'd seen Rick do this bit as part of Bad Attitude, and it's just some classic Southern heel buffoonery. You do the fan participation strap match. You come out fully clothed so that the straps don't hurt you and you build the whole match around them ripping the layers of clothes off and then strapping your ass. It's, it's some real easy psychology and always works. And this was a great match here, but this ended up being a huge feud that ended up setting up in a spot that ends Rick's career that I'm sure we'll talk about in later episodes. Yeah. Todd Sexton beat Slim J in around eight minutes. A good seesaw battle done at the wild side pace. They just lacked heat. There was no issue, and this was the first appearance of the fairgrounds by Sexton, who has anything but a natural, natural, has but a, anything but a natural Nashville babyface look. What does that mean? <laughs> what would that? What would that mean? No, because he's bald. Would that be it, Jeff? Because he's bald. There you yes, go. Because he's bald. Yeah, because their babyface had long, luxurious hair. More often than not. In Nashville, you better believe it. Yes. Sexton controlled the other part of the match, nailing Slim with shots as he ran the ropes. Slim's selling has really improved, and that's the skill he's got to have at his size. Slim finally got out of the ropes to avoid Sexton's drop kick and use a low blow. Slim went on offense, hitting big moves for two counts, with Sexton getting the rope, getting the hope spot near falls. Slim missed huge on a moonsault. Sexton took over briefly before missing on a charge to the corner. Slim hit a springboard inverted DT for a near fall. Both set on the canvas at their double clothesline spot. Sexton was up first and caught Slim with a super kick to get the pin. Yeah, I mean, when you have a situation like this, Jeff, where you got two guys who are not familiar to the to the home fans that they're working in front of, 
you better go out there and have have a hell of a match to uh, try to turn them to uh, to you and make them, uh, you know, get into the match. Well, that's true, but at the same time, I mean, as we were learning, the Nashville audience was a different audience, and um, some of the wild side stuff they did not respond to as well, and the guys who adapted and figured out what they wanted got over better in Nashville because it was a different audience, and they they liked a different kind of wrestling. Like Dan said, they didn't even like the fact that the ring announcer had glasses on. So some of Slim's flashy stuff left them, you know, going, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, then Adam Jacobs with Jeff G. Bailey beat Jimmy Raven 10-22. Bailey did some might work that drew the best heat he's gotten in Nashville. He said the fairgrounds was a Nashville landmark like the Ryman and Grand Ole Opry. Just another dump that never had any talent in it like the greatness of the NWA Elite. Jeff said the fans never took baths, so their B.O. was so bad it was making him dizzy. <laughs> this was the best match of the night. It was mostly Jacobs on offense with Ray making comebacks and Ray started with fast arm drags. Jacobs uh, bailed in her bailey. A fan told them to get a room. Ray brought Jacobs back in the hard way, scored a series of kicks. Jacobs kicked Rave low, hit a clothesline. Jacobs struck the referee, so Bailey could punch Rave from the floor. Good heat. Rave got two with a sunset flip. Jacob got, Jacobs got off the comeback, set Rave up in the tree of woe for a running drop kick to the gut. Jacobs did a brain buster head onto it. This turned some Mitch to a mat. Rave did a rolling reverse cradle. Jacobs hit a beautiful drop kick. Sidewall slammed for a two count and went for the camel clutch. Jacobs got two with a swing of netbreaker. Rave missed on a quick twist across body attempt. Did a messy looking spot where both his super kicks stayed down. Ray started firing punches and scored with an insecurity. Jacobs got two in a mention of driver. Ray did a tornado DT and both were on the canvas again. Ray did a snap suplex climb to the top. But Jeff shoved Rave onto the top buckle crotch job to set the finish. Jacobs used a super kick and followed the Georgia Bulldog jam for the pin. Jeff, did the fans really stink so bad that uh, it was making you dizzy? Have you ever been to wrestling at the fairground? <laughs> no, I'm not. But I've been to some. Oh, re- I've been. Well. To, I've been to some wrestling shows where I've had to deal with bo. Believe me. So yeah, the fairgrounds is one of those places. I mean, it's it, they're they're a little ripe in there. Um, I, this this is great. I mean, we were fifth on this. I mean, you know, me and Adam. This was our third or fourth time up there. We had done the the feud with Lance Dreamer, and now we get Jimmy, and we're higher on the card. I assume this is Larry's report. It reads like his writing. Um, best match of the night. You got to love that. Getting good heat. Got to love that. Uh, I think this was actually Trent Van Dries. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah. Well, his stuff reads like Larry's. Yeah, in a way, but you know, Larry would have he would capitalize things. You know, we don't really don't have that here. <laughs> Larry loved his caps on names and stuff. But I think this is Trent. This is from the Torch, so this is Trent. I think sent to the Torch. Well, that's that's great that he thought you know we had the best match, and I mean, this was a good show. I mean, like Dan said, James Storm and Rick had a epic feud up here in Nashville. I mean, they had an incredible series of matches until, you know, the unfortunate one where Rick breaks his back. But up to that, they were pretty incredible. And it was, it was 
it's a pleasure to work in the fairgrounds and be in Nashville. And it's just so much fun. I, I really appreciated Bert for, for booking me on these shows. And, uh, you know, he put us up in hotels and we always had a great time. It was a really good time. Yeah. Dan, were your members of this match? Oh, yeah. I mean, we mentioned that the Slim J and Todd Sexton didn't really get over because they weren't working the pace the Nashville crowd was used to. And there were a couple dynamics there. There was the Todd being the bigger baby face and Slim being the heel. And I already mentioned that Todd wasn't a traditional looking Nashville baby face. This Jimmy versus Adam match was the opposite because these guys and that's no slight to Todd and Slim J either, but already at this point, uh, like Adam is a bit of a young veteran and Jimmy just always got it from a psychological perspective. So they knew that if the audience wasn't biting on the fast paced stuff, they knew what kind of pace the national audience kind of liked already. And they always had great chemistry together. So it was no surprise that they came out here and kicked ass. Absolutely. All right, so next we got Chris Harris over Rip Michaels doing double duty. In fact, facing both members of America's Most Wanted to retain the USA title in 806. Rip was a last-minute sub for Jason Cross, whose no-show was a mystery. Cross had driven up with his girlfriend and worked a show in Lebanon on Friday night. It's not like Cross to miss a show, so hopefully everything's okay with him. Michaels did a muscle pose. When Rick started doing push-ups in the ring, Harris kicked him in the gut. Rick went to the outside. Rick tried to use the shortcuts, but Chris caught him with a clothesline. He bailed again. Rick begged for mercy. Chris pounded on him. Not much heat. Rick used a low blow to get the advantage. Rick worked on the groin area with a knee drop and headbutt for a near fall. Rick got off a Chris comeback with a clothesline for a two count. Rick missed on a top rope elbow. Chris used a scoop slam and hit his top rope elbow for the one, two, three. Just okay. Well, we got some problems here, Dan. With uh, And this is going to be... Uh, a recurring theme, so to speak, with Jason Cross. It's, it's what I mentioned. You know, he he could be flaky at times. Um, when he was committed and dedicated, there wasn't anybody better. Of course, now later we see there's a note that it was due to a family emergency and caused him to drive back late Friday night. I, I don't want to doubt that he had a real family emergency. That is very possible, but knowing that Jason kind of was flaky. I, I thought it was hilarious to read in the report that it was not like him to miss the show. It was actually very much like him to miss the show. Uh, but, uh, the, the Rick and Chris Harris, I mean, Chris Harris was one of those guys that just, he was the nicest dude and he looked like a superstar and his work was solid as like he, he had all the fundamentals there. He was just missing something that outside of in a tag team with James Storm, he was fucking amazing. But as a singles, just missing that something that really propelled him to the next level, I always thought. But, but man, uh, what a, a total pro. And uh, like I, I remember this match kind of being the same. I think it was kind of the show ran kind of long, too, because Harris was usually way over in Nashville and Rick was always over as a heel. So uh, interesting that it didn't have much heat. Yeah. Consider who's involved. Absolutely. Um, Jeff, your thoughts on the Jason Cross situation here? Well, I mean, I remember this, and he did have a real family emergency. I mean, we're up there in Tennessee. I mean, he's got a hotel and stuff, and he he leaves to come back for the thing. So that that 
that was legit. Yeah, it says right here that he had a family member that had been in an accident and was in ICU. So there you go. But, uh, you know, it's 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 odd that that match didn't have heat, like Dan said, because Chris Harris and Rick were both really over. And um, looking back at the other stuff, I mean, you know, me and Adam had been there a couple times and it figured out stuff like, you know, bailing out and doing the hug was going to get more heat than, you know, five moves strung together. You know, we learned how to work in Nashville to to get the most out of the fans by, you know, giving them what they wanted and not so much what the guys wanted to do, which was to go at a much faster pace. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, there's Nashville. Now, the WWA, Andrew McManus is in WWA, has announced a six-man Cruiserweight Survival match for their pay-per-view on February 24th from the Aladdin Hotel in Las Vegas. The six-man scheduled are Nova, Sharp Boy, Low-Key, Christopher Daniels, and Wildside stars AJ Styles and Tony Mamaluke. Occasional Wildside announcer Jeremy Borash is the booker for this pay-per-view. Well, <laughs> he's... I don't know if I'd say he was the booker. We, we, I mean, I don't know if you guys remember this, but I, I think we all, we pretty much have figured out that it was Russo that was pretty much doing the booking, but he wasn't announced as the official booker. So Borash may have had the title of booker, but yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that WWE show, uh, something else. All right, February 15th in East Arena, Cornelia, Friday night. Scott Cage won a battle royal. Shadow Jackson giant psycho over Oni and Deuce. Dango win over Kevin Harden by DQ. Mike Pittman over Slim J. Robert Pigeon over Cliff Compton. Kota Kahuna over Paul Alexander. Homicide Rayman over Jimmy V and Todd Sexton. And Rip Michaels and Crew Jones. That's a team. Beating Seth DeLay and Sal Dorado. So you got your, uh, well, Kid Cool and, uh, Sal Dorio here. But, uh, Robert Pigeon. That name, I, I, I remember the name, but I don't remember him. Any of you guys remember who that was? Well, I, I think that was Joe LaDuke's real name, but it, he was this this cat was a Frenchman. Uh, he was, a, uh, I think he was actually from like Quebec. And it, it, he quickly told me when I asked him his name and almost mispronounced it in the ring introduction that it was Pigeon. <laughs> Oh, one of those type of deals, huh? Robert Pigeon. Yes. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, interesting shot. All right, February 16th at the arena. TV tape for uh, February 23rd and for March the 1st. We have uh, Jeff cutting an amazing promo before the show, holding a knife, talking about how much he wanted to know how it felt murdering someone. And he would find out soon as Iceberg would be murdering Tank. All throughout Bailey's amazing diatribe, Iceberg is removing thumbtacks from his body in stoic fashion. And then he eats them. This is followed by Tank holding a sickle in a dark room in front of a broken mirror. And he uses the sickle on himself while grunting loudly. This is a pretty intense television, Jeff. <laughs> wow, I mean, Iceberg eating the thumbtacks. You talking about you know how, how much you want to experience murdering somebody? I mean, this is this is wild. Yeah, I I remember I had seen somebody do something with the thumbtacks, and I I just said something about it. Iceberg goes, "Oh, I can do that." I was like, 
really? He goes, oh, yeah, I'll stick those thumbtacks in my head and my arm while you're talking. And I said, well, well, hell yeah, let's do that. And then, you know, Tank's response was like, well, I'm going to shoot something, you know. And uh, his is so great because it looks like the Black Flag damaged album cover, you know. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Tank's bald head in the busted mirror and he's bleeding and he's sawing on his arm and he's grunting. I mean, we did so many promos that had no words in them over wild side. And that one's one of the spectacular ones. Um, it's not a knife in my hand. I just got icebergs, uh, veggie peeler, the okay. implement of destruction. Well, the way you were holding it, it looked like a knife. So there you go. But yeah, I mean, still, it will, you can be cut pretty bad with that thing. So yeah. Yes. That's, that's the point. It yeah. is a t- for cutting and slicing and stabbing. Yeah, um, Dan. What were your thoughts when you when you watched this again? How uh, how this came across these two promos? Oh, incredible! I mean, this is the kind of shit that I got in wrestling to do in the first place. Um, just really fucking intense. Like two guys that hate each other and are talking about outlandish shit. You with Jeff out here, you know, just talking about the the most off the wall maniacal shit about building this match. And then, of course, Tank has been a mute this whole time, so he can't respond with words. And White Trash was previously his mouthpiece, and he is now gone. So how is he going to respond in a promo? Well, he already ran out with a chainsaw and ran everybody off, but but the words, how is he going to respond with words? Well, we just we do this artistic promo of him cutting himself and grunting like, oh, if I'm going to do my, this to myself, imagine what the fuck I'm going to do to you. And it says all that needs to be said. Yeah. And you and Steven were kind of like, you were playing like you watched it and uh, y'all were like, you know, disturbed by it, so to speak. <laughs> it was great, great. Yeah. Got to sell that shit. Great. <laughs> Great stuff. All right. Um, Kevin Harden over Scott Cage in a dark match. Then we get Jeremy V against Slim J. This has some good fast-paced action from the youngsters, and it was great seeing both of them get more TV time. Slim had Jeremy dead to rights, but missed a big dive off top rope, and Jeremy covered him immediately to get the win. So a good win for Slim J. I mean, good win for Jeremy V there on television. Getting him uh, getting him going. So good stuff. Jeff comes up. Yeah, go, I go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. imagine... I was going to say, I could just imagine Jeremy looking back at this stuff like a 50-year-old playmate looks back at their centerfold. (laughs) (laughs) Those were the days. (laughs) Going, oh my God, look, I had hair, I was skinny. Oh my God, this is amazing. (laughs) But yeah, big big win, you know, him and Slim out here trading wins and um they are gonna feud all the way into the summer leading to their big gigantic breakout match with each other but uh they're just getting started here yeah yeah good stuff all right jeff comes out next with iceberg and jeff said that big business has been around lately because he's got to find some more investors to help the elite take care of all their problems jeff then buries onyx and said the iceberg would eliminate him forever and then Jeff brought out a new member of the Elite, which was a returning smart Bart Sawyer, who running down his accolades with Sawyer and then cutting the fun promo. Yeah, smart Bart Sawyer coming back, Jeff. What's the impetus for this? 
Um, he got fired in Nashville, so Bill gave him a job. Uh, <laughs> is what happened. Um, yeah, this was one of those things where it's like, hey, we're, we got Bart coming back, and uh, you got to put him over and all this stuff. And, you know, that's part of the CEO thing where I just I just got one thing after another. And so, I, you know, God, I, I watched that thing, and I thought, man – I didn't even know all that stuff about Smart Bart and being The Rock's first partner and and all that stuff, but I apparently knew it then. I guess I'd just forgotten it, but uh, I was like, wow, this is, you know, out of nowhere, and uh, I'm not really sure how long he sticks around. It doesn't seem like it was a very long time, so we'll see. And Big Biz is gone. I know you, you you had to hate that. Oh, that's that's the worst. Big Biz comes back for his blow off, maybe at Hardcore Hell, and uh, then he's gone. That's just really sad. Absolutely. Then we get a Crew Jones promo talking about his five touchdowns in one game before Jeff showed up to tell him to stick around for the Onyx match because he has something special for him. We get Crew and Mike Pittman next. Two more young guys get more TV. Uh, Crew is just as good at little things as a heel, which is refreshing to see for a guy with his experience level. Pittman should get fire here, especially on his comeback. I had Crew reeling, but Crew would eventually get the win with the Monster Blitz. Yeah, that, you know, we talked about Crew, you know, being green as far as, you know, his wrestling. But, Dan, the, the thing I've noticed here, the little things, it's like his character work, he's very, very strong at considering his experience level. Yeah, his instincts are all there. And he's like, I, I told you on the last episode, but if anybody missed it, the origin of this gimmick was literally me and Andrew and maybe Jeff standing behind the fence at the arena on a Friday night show while he is wrestling a fucking tryout match. And one of the three of us says, oh, my God, look at this jock looking motherfucker. He looks like a football player. And some one of them challenged me as the ring announcer said, I bet you won't go ask him if he scored four touchdowns in one game. How about it's the post-match promo and he wins the match and I go out there, didn't tell him, didn't didn't give him any heads up. This is during his match. They give me to do this. And so in the post-match, I go and tell him, uh, you know, Crew Jones, big victory. Now, I've heard that you had a high school athletics background. I heard you scored four touchdowns in one game. And without missing a beat, the motherfucker just responds, it was five, and just busts right into this fucking character, like right then and there. It was living within him and just waiting to come out. That's a, That's fantastic. Yeah, again, guy had the instincts. Good lord. Mm. Then we get a promo by Jimmy Raven Todd Sex talk about their text tornado match against Jeremy Lopez and Tony Mamaluke that's coming up. We'll talk about that in just a second. First, we get wild side tag titles. Blackout defending against G Rated. Fun watching the fans get so hot on Kid Cool and Sal, Kid Cool and Sal de Rio as they came to the ring. Blackout comes out pissed off, so it doesn't look good for G Rated here. G-Rated started out strong, but Blackout will soon murder them. Jay Freeze ran out, and he started tagging G-Rated before Blackout turned on him. The lights then went out, and the Lost Boys showed up, shooting fire, sending Blackout running out of the ring. Bill Barons then came out and announced that Blackout would defend their titles later against the Lost Boys and G-Rated in a three-way. 
Oh, yeah, the highlight of all this is Jay Freeze. <laughs> Jay Freeze had that deal where he'd come out there, he starts jumping on G-Raid, and he's like, yeah, you know, want to high-five for Blackout, and then, like, fuck you. <laughs> hilarious shit, Jeff. It is hilarious. I mean, Murder One just clotheslines the shit out of him, <laughs> like, nah, dude, you ain't with us. Fuck you. <laughs> it's great. Oh, yes, and, uh, it sets up what's coming up later in the show, so we'll have that more on that later. Test Tornado match. Jeremy Lopez is turning Mamaluke against Jimmy Raven, Todd Sexton. These four men have been going at it for a while, so this should be heated. And it was from the jump, as they, it was a four-way brawl. Lots of wild and crazy spots here, as these guys are going balls to the wall. Rave had Mamaluke in a submission, but Lopez will get a pinfall over Sexton after hitting him with a chain, which was what Andrew Thomas was paying attention to to end the match. Yeah, it's one of those finishes where, you know, you know, you got the, the tag team deal where you got one part of the, the match, they're in a finish, and the other part of the match in the finish, and the referee only sees one finish, Dan. So I thought everything worked out really good here as far as, you know, keeping this moving along. Oh, no, this was great. This was a great little setup to move this forward. And, uh, I mean, we we're, we're clearly have two singles feuds kind of coming out of this. So you have Sexton going for the title, and Mama Luke and Rave is kind of what is peeling out of this tag match. Yep, absolutely. And then we got a Wildside TV title match, Onyx against Iceberg, join in progress. We don't even get Onyx's always great entrance here. Iceberg is brutalizing Onyx. Speedy Nelson tries to intervene, but Iceberg throws him to the floor, which prompts a DQ. Iceberg then hit a big splash on Onyx for Crew Jones ran into the ring, and Jeff made the three count while Onyx covered while crew covered onyx with one finger and jeff announced that crew jones is a new tv champion they proceeded to be honest down some more before the babe faces ran out to make the save really good piece of business here jeff to uh to you know beat onyx up and get crew set up for onyx here you know for a tv title feud yeah i mean this was just basically a way to set crew and onyx up for hardcore hell which is coming up um before i talk about it i just want to say my god that top rope bump that todd took in that match oh yeah yes insane. i mean he crashed and burned so hard that was a brutal bump um yeah this was really more of a backdrop for the angle than an actual match you know iceberg out there with onyx and uh I don't really have any notes here, so I don't really remember a whole lot. Well, what, it was just mainly an angle, like you said. I mean, it was, it was match was no time before y'all went to the angle. Okay, that's what I thought. So, yeah. Three-way elimination for the Wild Side Tag Titles. Blackout defending this Lost Boys and G-rated. All action from the start is expected from what happened earlier tonight with dudes flying all over the place. Really cool seeing G-rated being put in this slot, working with the top teams. Jay Freeze ran out again with a steel chair and nailed both members of G-Rated. We saw Sal get pinned, uh, getting them eliminated. Andrew Thomas would get bumped, and then Blackout would start using more chairs, and Blackout set up the steel casket. Homicide would just drop Azrael through the chairs like a sack of bread, prompting a DQ finish. You saw it kept up before Blackout finally had some mercy and left. Yeah, uh, Dan, they, Blackout really came out of this looking strong as shit, you know, just beating everybody's ass in this whole thing. Oh, yeah, they were such a special act right here. They they really had all cylinders firing. The steel casket was something we'd already used to put white trash on the shelf. Uh, that's, you know, what originally was one of the things that took him out. And 
uh, didn't take him out permanently, but did lead to his later injuries is the way we sold it in commentary. So we really put over that steel casket as like a death sentence. Um, and the, the bump Izzy took, or Asriel took through it wasn't as, as nasty as the one White Trash took through it, but it was still pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, very, very violent. Yeah, it's a good problem by David Young. Talking about this match with Rick Michaels later that night, and that Rick now had his chance to prove he was better than David, but that ain't happening. Another good promo by David here. This followed up with Jeff talking with Jason and Adam, with Jacobs talking about how he doesn't care about Caprice Coleman. He's care about laying the lumber later. Cross said that Caprice ain't no problem, so they're very confident. Yes, Caprice has a mystery partner here. That's uh, going to go up against uh, Jason and Adam, so keep that in mind. Next, we get Terry Knight and Cooter Calhoun. The Knight Rednecks feud continues here as Cooter's all business from the bell, but so is Knight, who just beats the shit out of Cooter until Big Henry Haas runs up to make the save. So again, keeping that going. And then we get this. This is maybe my my, the fa- my favorite part of of the all these shows that I've watched for this show. For this episode. Caprice Coleman and his ministry partner against Jason Cross and Adam Jacobs. Sweet Dreams joins Jeff. Cross and Jacobs coming out to the ring. And everyone looks confident in what's going to happen. Because y'all thought Caprice wasn't going to have nobody be his partner. Caprice shows up and said he had to go to Orlando, Florida to find his partner. Because he had to get a guy who was famous for being in all sorts of music videos. NSYNC starts playing. And we get the debut of Dustin Timberlake. Which is Laz, out of the Britney Spears gimmick, doing a Justin Timberlake gimmick. This was awesome. As, yeah, he goes from Britney Spears to her then-boyfriend. And he was doing all the insane dances to Bye Bye Bye. The crowd was loving it. Just, just loving all this. Uh, Jeff was in total shock in the ring as Timberlake danced around the ring. Extremely fun match. Everyone worked hard. And it was a hoot watching Timberlake work fairly differently from his work as last. They give these guys a lot of time before the finish. We saw Sweet Dreams get involved as he went to deck Timberlake, but he moved. Jacobs got hit instead. Timberlake uh, got the pin. Caprice and Cross were brought on the floor as this was going on. That continued even after the match was over. Jeff yelled at Sweet Dreams after the match before everything calmed down. This was a fantastic segment, Jeff. And Laz as Dustin Timberlake. Oh, so, so great. Yeah, this this was genius. And I, I assume this was Laz's idea. And, I mean, he put his hair in the cornrows. Yes. And, I mean, it, it's he's out there doing that fist-pumping dance. And, I mean, you just, if you watch it, no matter who you are, you can't not go wow this is so over i mean you can just see the joy in the people's face like they're just so happy that he's back but it's different and it's in sync and i don't know it just it works so well i mean it's one of those things you you can read on paper and go "Hmm, that might work but wow it worked amazing. Um, the crowd was red hot. They're chanting, Adam's a pussy. <laughs> those, those, both guys, Caprice and um, Dustin, gave Jason those Germans, those big, like, muscling up Germans that look great. I mean, 
They look great as a tag team out there. Um, and at the end, Caprice and Jason fighting in the crowd like savages. They're out there rolling around trying to grab each other. It looked like a real fight. I mean, their stuff was really strong. This this might have been my favorite thing of uh, this set of tapings. It was really good. Yeah, everything worked here. And Dan, I think this is a testament to how great a performer Laz Dustin Timberlake was that he could go into this, you know, and do this character, which is a total opposite of his other character, when the people that he's doing the characters of are actually a real life couple at this point in time. I mean, this is yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it was genius. On, yeah, on a lot of levels. Like, it's a multi-layered kind of rib and also like it was over like a motherfucker and and Laz was a super talented performer in in so many ways and, and like it's funny now that uh, he's transitioned that talent into a different art he is a, an artist and he's doing very well for himself doing like comic book themed art pieces that he sells his commissions i mean he's been shared by all of the big wigs at Marvel and DC and John Cena shared all of his peacemaker art. So it's cool to see him like still thriving and, and succeeding. But right here, uh, this, this transition to Justin Timber, like I feel like it was so good that we dropped the ball on it in the future. As I mentioned, like we should have gone back to this maybe a few more times or kind of kept it in the pocket as something to bust out. I like the lads having multiple personalities a la Mick Foley might have been a better direction than what we ended up doing with it because this shit ruled. Yeah, at least y'all have this. That's one thing you can say. This is a, this is just fantastic. Fantastic stuff. Alright, and then we close out with Rick against David in the main event. The Battle of the Bad Attitude. The first big one-on-one match with the former Bad Attitude. And we have a special mystery referee for this as well. Andrew Thomas was in the ring, ready to start the match, but Bill Barron's told him to get the hell out of his ring. And he introduced the referee, who turned out to be the returning time bomb, Scotty Wren, which popped the house. We didn't go to a break, come back deep into the match, naturally, where uh, Young is juicing from hitting his post turnbuckle. Rick tried to pin him, but Wren refused to count the pin and then attacked him. Ren would lay Michaels out with a psycho slam, place Young on top of him before Iceberg in the ring. He brawled with Scotty. Bart Sawyer showed up with a chair, clocked Scotty with the rest of the elite joining on as Ren and Young got their asses kicked. Bailey was orgasmic again, wanting more blood from Young as Rick declared himself the number one contender, not Young. The onslaught would go on until Tank ran everyone off yet again with his chainsaw. Jeff, I think this was the one where you said he's not bleeding enough. Yeah, cut him up, Berg. <laughs> for me. Oh, this was fantastic. It was so good. So much fun. I mean, I tell you, we, when we, you went over that list of 30, and it was actually 32 because we had all those people tied. That's, that's 32 people that were pretty much there for every TV taping, not counting all the drive-ins and other people that were coming to do these things. I mean, that's a fucking deep roster for an independent show, for sure. Scotty Wren <laughs> returning, though. Uh, right. Yeah. He is out of nowhere. 
Yeah, because on the last show, we, you know, we had the deal where he lost the title and was gone, and here he comes back. What was the story here? What I mean, what prompted this comeback? Ask Dan. Dan, I'm asking you. <laughs> Scotty was in and out often. You know, he would come in and do some business and usually finish up, sometimes leave abruptly, but, you know, he would always end up coming back. And this was a time where he came back for a brief period. He actually, uh, you know, again, as I mentioned, we're building up this two-day hardcore hell card. Every single thing you see in these TV tapings is building to that, including the return of Scotty Wren and this little deal with Bart Sawyer, because it's about to build to a, a match with them at hardcore hell. Like, you know, we got to fill two days worth of cards with relevant matches that people give a fuck about. So that's the primary reason Scotty is back. Oh, there you go. And it's, you know what? You know, it's always good to go back to a well. You know, somebody goes away for a little bit. Here, okay. Well, here they come. They come back in for a little stint. I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with that when you have when you bring back some established names and mix them up for a little bit. Then they'll go away for a while and then come back. You know, I like that. It refreshes them. You know, they're not there every week, and the fans get tired of them. And they come in, do their little special deal, leave, and then come back sometime later. There's nothing wrong with that. Even on the indie scene. So, uh, yeah, really good stuff here. Really strong end to the TV show as uh, we're building towards hardcore hell. But we have one more thing to close out with for February 25th. Bart Sawyer is no longer with USA Wrestling in Memphis. Apparently he used a stop sign during a match and ended up flying into the crowd hitting a fan. That was the end of his run there. He's now working for NWA Wildside. Well, there you go. That's why he was. And it says Memphis is being Nashville. But that is what's going on. That's why he was gone. Oops. Yeah, well, you know, we we didn't care about putting our fans in harm's way in Georgia. <laughs> so he was welcome here. Uh, and, you know, he was a protege of Roddy Piper at one point. So we wanted that secondhand knowledge. So we were glad to have Bart. Yeah, absolutely. So... Well, there you go. That's the January, February of 2002 NBA Wildside. It's Hardcore Hell is uh, coming up in March, and the build's going strong. So, yeah, um, can't wait to do the next show because uh, you know it's going to be a two night big show, and that should be quite the show. And hell, you know, I thought this show would be not wouldn't be a marathon. We ended up doing almost three hours. <laughs> so there we go, huh? There we go. But there's so much great stuff to talk about from this era, you know? Well, we have Nothing something else. Um, there's a promo that didn't make the notes because it was a promo for Christmas Chaos that I did. And it's me and Biz in the ring after the show. And uh, apparently it aired like three episodes after Christmas Chaos. So you really can't have worse editing than that. But uh, <laughs> the promo is so fucking good. I mean, I guess I have to suck my own dick on this, but I'm going to because it's really fucking good. I cover all four of the matches and feuds that are going into that Christmas chaos show. I integrate big biz into it and use that moment to come back and go even bigger on the back end to close the thing. I mean, it's, 
I talk about Jason taping up his fist to where they're as hard as cinder blocks. And I think I say I'd rather strangle an infant in its cradle than have my desires <laughs> go unfulfilled at Christmas chaos. I mean, it's it's like four minutes that covers like all it's it's pretty much close to perfect as far as covering all these matches in just one thing. And uh, I really hate these motherfuckers for not putting it where it belonged. <laughs> Fucking great. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> yeah. I will back Jeff just so he doesn't have to feel alone and filleting himself that that was a really fucking sick promo. And uh, as a manager, you know, it, it's really hard when you have that stable. Right now, I just got the one guy. So it's it's nice to just be able to focus all my energies on that. Uh, I miss the days sometimes of having a large stable of people to go around and gang jump people and fuck them up. But you have to have those promos where you got to hit every single angle and sell every single match. And that is a, a hell of a feat, especially to make sure it's done with quality and attention to detail on each one. And Jeff did that. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I don't know how I missed putting it in the nose, but yeah, it's a fantastic promo, even if it was later than it was supposed to be airing wise. But yeah. All right. Well, that is it for us this time. Uh, Jeff, anything you want to plug real quick before we dip out? Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff G Bailey one. Uh, my live reports for the ICW Chattanooga shows got put up on PW Insider, so you can read my writing there or on GWH News and Blogspot. It's great, like me, so go read it. Um, that's about it. Dan, what's going on with you and Tank these days? Oh, staying busy, staying busy, heading up to Newark, New Jersey this Friday for Mania Weekend for ICW No Holds Barred as Tank locks horns in a one-year-to-the-date rematch from WrestleMania last year against Neil Diamond Cutter, the Honey Badger. It's gonna be a bloodbath. Also just recently announced August 19th and 20th in Summit, Illinois, the one- and only IWA Mid-South King of the Death Match. Tank mm -hmm. has been announced for that to join the field once again in a tournament he's competed in many times, but this year he aims to win. Uh, John Wayne Murdoch, Eric Ryan, the King, Masada, so many great competitors, the best of the best. Uh, Callan Butcher from Australia just announced, uh, I'm, I'm missing a lot of them, but it's, it's the creme de la creme of deathmatch tournaments, and that's going to be in Summit, Illinois, August 19th and 20th. You can keep up with me on Twitter at Rev Dan Wilson. Follow all of our exports. I've actually also signed on. Oh, they pulled me back in, Chris. I've signed on to be a producer for the IWTV Uncharted Territory show. Oh, wow. Monday. Uh, weekly on uh, IWTV live from Chattanooga starting in May. So uh, going to do a little behind the scenes work there as well. And also going to be on there with Tank occasionally. Uh, and uh, just, man, just staying busy, having a blast. Check out my podcast also, my horror podcast, Seeking Human Victims, Mondays, wherever you find products you can, or podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at OG Scares an OG scare for all of the details. Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, 
Yeah, the uncharted territory should be a hoot when that starts up in the south. Because, uh, you know, it was up in the beyond territory for a while. Now it's coming down here. And the south's got something to say. So uh, all that should be awesome. All right. Well, thank both of you for being on the show. We'll be doing this again in another couple of months. Talking about March and April 2002. So that should be fantastic. All right, for Jeff and for Dan, this is Chris saying so long from the Peach State of Georgia.